This is TK331, a Star Wars EU slash Legends podcast. I'm Crystal, a Star Wars enthusiast, but I've never read a thing I liked that I couldn't complain about a little bit. And I'm Thomas, a Star Wars completionist who has previously read the entirety of the EU. So, what are we talking about today? Today we are discussing Planet of Twilight, the final book in the Callisto Chronicles, written by Barbara Hambly and published by Bantam Spectra in May 1997. Planet of Twilight is Barbara Hambly's second and final Star Wars novel, Besides her two novels, she's also written three Star Wars short stories, two of which we've done episodes about, Night Lily, The Lover's Tale, and recently, Tasha's Choice, The Tale of Jabba's Chef. Other Star Wars books that came out around Planet of Twilight include The Back to War, The Paradise Snare, and several Galaxy of Fear books. This also came out about two years after Darksaber came out, so there's quite a bit of time between, in the publishing timeline between those two books. There's a lot of books that came out between there, a lot more than the ones I, I said, many of which take place later in the timeline than this book does. I think or earlier. Or earlier, like Back to War. Yeah. And I, I think actually that's, that's one of the many reasons why this book is not well regarded, because it's the quote-unquote conclusion to Callista's story, but it comes out years after Darksaber. People don't care anymore, I feel like. Wow. I feel like it's not unusual today for there to be a year or two between releases in a series. Sure, but like... Children of the Jedi and Darksaber came out in the same year. Yeah. And, like, I, I think the other problem is this was never really truly planned yeah. as a trilogy. The, like, the way the Thrawn trilogy, the Jedi Cameron trilogy, like, we, we knew that was books one, two, three. And this was never really that. That's why it's the unofficial Callisto trilogy. Yeah. Planet of Twilight picks up several months after Darksaber. Luke is depressed and is desperately watching for any sign of Callista, but he has not heard from her. The Rationalist Party has taken center stage in galactic politics and is active in both the Republic and the Empire. Somehow. They've made the planet of Namchorios a major issue, and Leia is on her way there for a secret meeting with Seti Ashgad, trying to defuse the situation. Exciting. Yeah, you might think that, based on that summary, but you'd be wrong. So, after a brief detour over to the X-Wing series and Aaron Alston... So much needed. How are you feeling about returning to the final book of the Callisto Chronicles? Not good. No? I watched you take two weeks to struggle to get through it. To be fair, <laughs> for at least five or six of those days in those two weeks, I did not read because of other things that were going on. My mom was in town, I know, but still. I feel like I can tell how much fun I'm going to have with a book, at least in part by how quickly you get through it. And I saw my doom just, like, waiting for me. <laughs> so I wasn't, I mean, I I will admit I did not manage to go into this one feeling neutral. I mean, not her great things about for me or the internet in general. I also have... Jedi was I, a struggle. Yeah, like, I already had first-hand experience with Barbara Hamley's writing style. I don't like it. Just, like, I knew that that alone was going to make this book difficult for me. Yeah. Difficult, not in the sense of like, well, definitely difficult in the sense of being able to comprehend what's going on. Like that was difficult, but also just difficult in the sense of being able to stay awake long enough to read it. How about you? You you must have been so excited to return to this one. Oh yeah, this is uh, this is definitely in my tier of least favorite Star Wars books. It's in the doghouse for you. It's I hate to say it, I consider this one of the most boring Star Wars books. Which is unfortunate, because similar to Children of the Jedi, I think the beginning is actually really interesting and probably the strongest part of the book. The setup is very well done. There are some ideas. Yeah. 
potentially strong ideas. I think this is the perfect example of <laughs> yeah. ideas are a dime a dozen, and it's all in how you execute them. So what does the cover look like? Well, everybody looks, you know, sort of straight out of the original trilogy. No one has aged. Although Leia's hair... Leia's wearing her hair in an interesting way that is much, even more braid-heavy than usual. And we've got some Hoth troopers on the cover. Yeah. And the... So there's a... There are some planetary guns on this, and there's one of the Hoth guns from Echo Base on the cover. I think it's supposed to represent that. I get the impression they are much larger than what we saw in Empire Strikes Back than these things. Yeah. So it was kind of an... Interest. I guess they just want something that looks familiar, but yeah. Leia has a yellow lightsaber. When did that happen? It's not yellow in the book, is it? You don't know? I don't think so. Well, let's just call that yellow lightsaber the first of many inconsistencies in this book. Sure. Because at one point when she's fighting someone later, it is described as like the pale glory of the lightsaber shining like starfire in her hand which i guess i could believe a yellowish white for starfire you know like the sun basically but wikipedia describes the lightsaber that she used to kill this particular person with as blue pale blue and it might have been described you know in an earlier section where she's practicing with someone else as blue but i don't have the wherewithal to go looking for that section because every time i open this book it's like somebody has slumbered me I almost wonder if the cover art, like they were given that passage and based off of that passage, made yeah. this. Like, I think that would. I could believe that. Yeah. For sure. All right. We've dilly dallied long enough. Let's do it. Let's say something about <laughs> this book. <laughs> it's depressing to get a bad one. And this isn't even as bad as boring. Yeah. That's the. Like, Dark Saber was bad, but it was very. Painting in its own way. Hopefully, you found our three-hour diatribe about it entertaining. <laughs> we clearly were entertaining ourselves, but yeah, I don't have high hopes for how entertaining this episode's going to be. <laughs> so, kind of like *Children of the Jedi*, this book opens very abruptly. Yeah. On the New Republic ship, the Adamantine, Koth Barak dies. He is found slumped across a table. Leia is in the Meridian Sector on an unofficial visit, and the Adamantine is her escort ship. She is meeting with Seti Ashgad from Namchorios, although he holds no official position on the planet. Sergeant Galley Wilbur was the one to find Koth's body and immediately calls for a med droid. And, you know, she sadly thinks Koth was a good kid and knows that his death was not drug or alcohol related. He was one of those soldiers who didn't touch anything, so she knows this was foul play. Or some horrible, weird accident. It was not his fault. Yeah. But she is worried about some sort of disease, which is a spacer's nightmare, kind of like a sailor's nightmare. The droid scans the body, and there's no virus, no bacteria, and no poison, so... That's terrifying. What is it? We'll never get a satisfying answer for that question, so... No? No. Okay. You yourself complain about how this disease is eventually hidden... Like how it's explained oh, that, regard, that it's yeah, hidden okay. from, yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, Leia is over on the Borealis where Ashgod is describing the situation on Nam Chorios. He describes it as complicated for all. Leia asks if it's complicated for everyone or only some of the inhabitants of Nam Chorios. He says all, newcomers and Therans alike, just like every other 
Barbara Hambly book within the first 10 pages, we got to have a lot of new names and new factions and just a lot of proper nouns that are going to be hard to remember. So bear with us. Leia knows that he's omitting mention of a third group, the farmers. He says that it takes technology to survive on this world and they don't have that technology. Leia says the prisoners sent by the Grispeth dynasty have managed to live there for 700 years. Without technology. So the Grispeth dynasty had used this planet as a prison planet 700 years ago, which is where the original inhabitants come from. Like Australia. Yeah, this is essentially space Australia. (laughs) Complete with all of the terrible environments and 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 creatures. (laughs) It was rumored that Palpatine started using it as a prison planet again about 40 years ago. Which would be well before the time of the Empire. Well, actually, at this point, late enough after Jedi, it might be about the start of the Empire. But I could believe... No, it's been 30 years since the founding right. of the Empire. But I also could believe that, you know, Chancellor Palpatine was secretly stashing people away. That was very believable to me. Or Senator Palpatine. Yeah. One of those people that he stashed away on this planet was the elder Sadi Ashgad. Sadi Ashgad Jr.'s father. Those rumors were proven true when the younger city Ashgod showed up, and apparently he looks like an exact duplicate of his father. Interesting. That will be irrelevant. No red flags to you at this point? <laughs> at this point, I was trying my best just to keep my head above water. <laughs> With all the information just being thrown at all you. All the names, all this the like information. five pages into the book. We've seen someone die of some, something mysterious. Oh, it's been longer than five pages. She described the death and all of that in excruciating detail. So, you know, a lot of waffle. (laughs) Before Leia left to go on this mission, this covert mission, she received a mysterious message. It said, do not meet with Ashgod. Do not trust him or accede to any demand that he makes. Above all, do not go to the Meridian sector. But she's here anyway. I mean, mysterious message. You can't really base your political goings on about about that i mean sure you can look at it at it from that angle but also like leia's not even supposed to be here yeah like on top of this message this guy has no official position on nam jorios like there's no reason for her to get involved in a local civil conflict between factions on a planet that is not represented in the new republic so if i was her i would have taken that message as a (laughs) divine signal <laughs> that what I was doing was stupid anyway and I shouldn't do it. <laughs> right. Ashgard is here with a secretary named Azim and a bunch of synth droids, which are basically droids that have synthetic skin on them. They're really weird and creepy. They kind of remind me of the nanny droid for Anakin. <laughs> yeah. And Leia feels a particular aversion to Azim, though she's really not quite sure why. She asks him if he's descended from the original Chorians, and he says that he is. The original Troyans being the group of prisoners sent here 700 years ago. Allegedly. Ashgod says the centuries of isolation have made them the most ironbound set of fanatical conservatives this side of an academic licensing board. I did find that description amusing. Woof. I don't even remember that description. (laughs) If I had, I mean, that is really funny to me personally just because of my line of work. But uh, clearly I didn't take notice of it in the moment because I don't remember it. They are dirt farmers. How do you farm dirt? I don't know. Our, our dog does it every day, though. Fair. <laughs> With minimal technology, and they're very superstitious. 
Ashgod's dad tried to set up a modern clinic in Huegshul, but the old-timers would rather go to a Theron cult listener and be healed with power sucked down out of the air, whatever that means. He says the Rashless Party doesn't just want to help the newcomers, but the old-timers as well. But the Therans control the old gun stations and forbid interplanetary trade. Apparently, this planet is just seeded with these giant cannons, and anything that is too large will be shot down from leaving or arriving. What a way to live. <laughs> Oshgod says the Rationalists just want to help set up trade with the New Republic. And Leia says that the majority of the planet doesn't want that. Yeah. Have they been polls taken somehow? Yeah, simple polls. Do you want trade? <laughs> yes or no? Dazim says he's not a fan of Theron cultists. They hold an astonishing amount of power over the old timers. Leia looks out into space and sees some lights go out on the adamantine. Over on that ship, all manner of crew are dying. Human, Mon Calamari, Celestin, Naroni. But here's the really weird thing about this. There is quite literally no virus that can affect them all. Calamari and Alrani have what are called mutually exclusive immune systems, so it's literally impossible for one thing to make both of them sick. And I actually, that's one of my favorite little details in this book, is this idea that two species are so different they can literally not get each other sick. So I, I, I like the idea from a sci-fi perspective. I think that's a really cool thing. Because that seems accurate. Right? Like, like, even in our world, like our real world, there are... There are species where viruses can hop, right? Mm -hmm. Like we see that with the flu a lot, actually. Avian flu, swine flu, etc. But there are other situations where there are animals that cannot get our sicknesses from us and we can't get their sicknesses from them because we are so biologically different. And that would make perfect sense for... I don't remember what Nalroni looked like, but... Probably significantly different looking than Mon Calamari. <laughs> yeah, so I really like the idea. And then the fact that something is killing both of them makes this actually terrifying. Quite scary, yeah. It would help if it was described in a more urgent manner. Thinking back to the credit trap? Yeah. Stackpole describes it a lot better than Hamblin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Barbara. There were times during Kratos Trap that I was like... Your stomach was turning. Really stressed. Really. <laughs> I, I say that as if it's a good thing that I was really stressed out, but like, it just goes to show you that it was effective. Right. Yeah. And during this, I was like, well, it sucks that so many people died in that paragraph, but that paragraph took up half the page and it only contained two sentences. And I just sort of lost the plot. What was, <laughs> what was most effective here is the fact that just these, the mutually exclusive species are both dying. As long as you can pick that detail out in the wall of text. Yeah. <laughs> And then the other terrifying thing is that there are droids reporting that back to treatment just seems to accelerate whatever is going on rather than curing it. Troubling. So this is a problem. Does that ever get explained? Why? I don't remember. I can, I can definitely guess once we get there why that is. I have a good idea. <laughs> I, but I don't know if it was actually in the book or not. 15 minutes since Wover called in. She's already dead. That's rough, buddy. The captain has been trying to raise Leia's flagship, but has been unable to get through, and then he dies too. So, really goodbye rough, to everyone on the Adamantine. Ashgard says that he knows bad things have been said about the Rationalist Party, but they just want to bring Namtorios into the present and open up new frontiers. Seems reasonable. 
he actually sounds pretty reasonable for the most part in this conversation. Except for the fact that so many people on this planet don't want this. Yeah, the question is, that's the red why flag. don't they want yeah. this? That's what you need to figure out. And he says, oh, they're just dirt farmers. They're conservatives. They are su- they're superstitious. Like, they just don't know what they're doing. But, like, maybe the people who have been on this planet the longest actually have a good reason for doing what they're doing. <laughs> Sometimes, maybe. Leia says that Namtorios is not part of the New Republic, so legally she can't actually help. She says the colonists who have recently settled there knew that the planet was difficult and not part of the Republic, and that they would not receive support as a result. They were leaving the Republic, and they knew that going into it. But, she says when she gets back to Coruscant, she will send an investigation team to find out what's really going on and try and negotiate with the Therans. She's like, you know what, I get it, things are bad. Let me find out what's going on, and we can go from there. Let me send a mediator. Oshkod says that no one negotiates with them. They are fanatical lunatics. <laughs> one problem I do have with this conversation is I feel like it doesn't cast Leia in the best light. I feel like... Nobody knows how to write Leia politically well. Nobody. Because like it, it, it's a very hard thing. Like As leader of the Republic, she can't do a lot, but I feel like Leia herself would be doing whatever she could to try and help. So actually the idea of sending someone to actually investigate is a good idea, but... This is why it was so stupid to make her... Chief of State. Yeah. It was the dumbest... I imagine it must have such long-term consequences in the EU, too. Like, I don't know how long it goes on for, but this was the wrong position to put Leia in. Keep her as a senator? Or advisor? I think keep her as, like, chief diplomat or something. That way she's got reason to go talk to people. And, and she involved. has a lot more, like leeway yeah like she has a lot more like she can make her own judgment calls she's still reporting to somebody who will probably have to occasionally cover for her because she missteps or because she does something that's kind of like off the cuff and dangerous but like it doesn't make sense for the chief of state to even be in this conversation it makes no sense and like partially that's not hambly's fault because anderson's the one who did this i guess i I don't know if that was his idea, yeah, if or if Lucas that's just saying something, or that was a a group decision by Amazon and others. Yeah, that was maybe the direction that they wanted the New Republic and Leia to go at the time. But I just think it was a an, a really, in retrospect, obvious and enormous misstep. But I also get why they did it. I don't. Leia has always been the face of the rebellion, but not the leader of the rebellion. It doesn't make sense to transfer her into a really high-level leadership role because that is not where she thrives. (laughs) Like, she needs to be able to still be doing her, like, kind of rebellion thing. Yeah. Being kind of disruptive. I agree. Here's a different would have been the ideal choice. But not what we got. (sighs) Well, I'm going to bitterly complain about it while I continue to eat it. Well, here's a question for you. Whenever she does step down, who will take over? It can just be an NPC. (laughs) Like, it doesn't have to be anybody I know about at this point. But I want them to be properly elected. I almost cursed in the middle of that because it still makes me so angry. Like, they need to be, they need to hold a proper full election, not just select somebody from their little elite Illuminati group 
that's sitting above. I don't believe in the Illuminati. I should say. <laughs> I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I'm just that's what it feels like to me that this elite group that sits above the Senate and they were just like I am the Senate. Yeah, and they were just like, well, Leia seems like a good choice, and then she instantly proved them wrong. No, hold an actual election. It can just be a new NPC. I, just make somebody up. I don't because I don't care about the chief of state of the New Republic. Like, that's not what we care about. We care about the, like, the characters that we know and some NPCs who have gotten more development. So they're, like, new and, you know, like, like Yella is a good example. Like, she is not from the original trilogy. We like her because we really get to know her through Corrin and through Wedge. We're interested in where her trajectory goes, but she doesn't need to be, like, she is just a spy. She's not her own boss. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. So the chief of state can just be, like, a distant NPC. Okay. who's elected properly. And that could either cause last thing, and then I'll get off of this <laughs> tangent <laughs> that can either cause a lot of good things for our heroes or a lot of bad things for them. Right. You have a look on your face that makes me feel like this is going to happen. And I'm going to hate that. I suggested it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to keep digging this hole for myself until I hit rock bottom. It can either cause great things to happen for our heroes or can, it can be kind of a bad turn for them or, or uh, nothing. Uh, Just how about both? Well, yeah. F- first both, one, both then the both. other each at a time. Like each I, at a time. like I can really imagine a chief of state coming in and being like, we have a lot to clean up here because these people have been loose cannons for literally a decade. Luke Skywalker is still walking around the galaxy after serving the clone of Palpatine for a while. Nobody cares that everybody put him in charge of their Jedi trainees. Anyway, we need to do something about that. <laughs> like, uh, anyway, I would still prefer, like, I, it depends on how it's executed, for sure. But at this point, I would prefer... <laughs> it's not the idea. It's yeah, I would, I would prefer almost anybody else to be in the role of Chief of State besides Leia. Because I, I don't think they're doing a good job with her. Han? I mean, that would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Bet, worst choice, but funnier. It will never happen. No. <laughs> Same as how Luke will never happen, because Luke would never accept it. Um, it would be as funny, though. It's Han because it'd be hilarious. But even somebody like Garmbella Bliss. You make a lot of sense. Like, he's the charismatic leader. He's made some mistakes, but I could see this being his, like, you know, he already had kind of a comeback. Like, I could imagine him coming back even more. Like, he had all this beef with Mon Mothma, and now he occupies her role, maybe. Like, that would be a big win for him. But I could also imagine that he's going to have conflicts with everybody that we like. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Hey, I found something to say about this book after all. It wasn't really about this book, but... <laughs> so, at this point, Hamley sticks in a retcon. I actually appreciate she says that. Apparently, it's been years since Leia has had her Nogri bodyguards with her. Because thinking back over the last couple of books, we haven't really seen them. Like, they're very, very prevalent in the Thrawn trilogy. Have we seen them since then? No, I don't think so. We have once. They weren't on Belsavis. They, they were weren't in, with Leia in Darksaber. They weren't in Dark Empire, which since that's at the same time as the Thrones of Gene published, that makes sense. So this is her way of saying why they weren't there. Yeah, and it makes sense, actually. Yeah. Apparently, the Council suggested to her that she shouldn't be using a weapon of Palpatine's. And she's like, yeah, okay, fine, you're right. Um, but apparently the note that she received spooked her so much, so she actually secretly brought some of them with her. She asked them to come in immediately, like, yes, of course, we'll be there, Lady Vader. So <laughs> she has some Nogri with her for the first time in quite a while. 
because of that note. So she wasn't willing to not go on this trip, but she did take extra precautions. So that's something. Yeah. After Ashgod leaves, one of the Nogri, as Croc, says that his bodyguards smell wrong. Ashgod's bodyguards. No living flesh, basically. Leia remarks that they are synth droids, sculpted with synth flesh over a metal armature. She then asks how Dazim smelled. As Croc says, he didn't like him, but he smelled as humans do. Elsewhere on the Borealis, Luke is looking at the note that Leia received. Apparently, it was written by Callista. The note was apparently tucked inside a music box, and upon examination, it shows that it was made on Namchorios, or written on Namchorios. Some kind of mineral stuck in it that, like, is only really mined there or something. So, Luke knows that she was here for a time, and it's his very first lead since the Nighthammer went into Yavin. And he thinks it has been a year since he last saw her. Keep in mind, that timeline is going to jump around so much in this book. I think he's rounding up. Significantly. Yeah, because he's a sad boy. As he climbs into a modified B-Wing, Leia enters the hangar. The ship should be small enough to avoid the guns and get Luke to the planet, but it's able to take on larger ships if needed, and Moff Gatelles controls the Antimeridian sector, which is quite close, so Luke needs to kind of have more firepower. Have a protection. Yeah. Luke asks Leia if she needs the note. She says no, but maybe it will help him. Luke says Callista has to come back. She has a better chance of getting her force powers back at the Academy than on her own. That was going so smoothly, Luke. Oh, yeah. You you were really... uh, This is totally him rewriting history. Yeah. Which, fair enough when he's depressed. He says he needs her, and Leia says he'll find her. She then asks Luke to look around while on the planet and see what he can learn. First person she's sending down. Good choice. (sighs) <sighs> I would choose someone who's not so distracted by his personal Fair issues. enough, but he's, since he's going regardless, may as well use him. Yeah. Leia also tells Luke that there's a leak in the council and information is getting out to the Empire somehow. Riken thinks it may be someone from the Rationalist Party since it exists in both the Republic and Empire. Leia doesn't know who the leak is, but she thinks Callista might have some idea. Why Callista might have some idea? I don't know. Because she sent the warning. Yeah, I guess so. As they part, Luke reminds her to keep up with her lightsaber training. Kip or Tion can help while he's gone. He then heads out. The comm light is flashing as Leia enters her room. But when she presses the button, there's no one there. Weird. So she asks one of her bodyguards to check the comms room to make sure that everything is okay. After that, Leia isn't feeling great. She starts to get dizzy and then collapses. R2 and 3PO try to help, and 3PO calls the infirmary, but there's no answer. Then Dazim walks in. He kneels next to Leia and takes off his glove. Weird. Oshkar then enters, and Dazim quickly stands and puts his glove back on. Weird. Why? I don't know. Oshkar then has a synth droid push 3 pair to the side and tells Dazim to release her. Dazim stops whatever it is he's doing, and Oshkar picks Leia up. His pilot comes in and says a timed delay message is ready to go. It will look like everything is normal on both ships. While in reality, he says everyone is either dead or incapacitated. Outside the room, Ezkrok is still trying to get up, but he just can't. He's, you know, no good bodyguard, nothing can stop him, and even he's barely holding on. And Dazim then kneels by him with his gloves off, and there's no mark on him, but Ezkrok dies. Woof. One of the creepier and more well-done deaths in this book, I would say. I mean, it's fine, I guess. (laughs) 
3PO and R2 head for the shuttle bay after being left alone. They find a guard named Yeoman Markopius who had been knocked out and they revive him. He says there's a disease going around, but 3PO says, no, it actually looks like the death seed plague from seven centuries ago. Isn't that a disease? <laughs> plague, disease, two different things? I don't know. They're not. They're the same thing. <laughs> I mean, a plague is what happens when a disease becomes too widespread. Yeah. Right. I, I think it's interesting. It's not just a disease or any disease. It ah, is I see. this terrifying It is the thing. disease. Yeah. So keep in mind, Death Sea Plague, seven centuries ago. Interesting timeline that matches up with other things that we know about that happened 700 years ago. The dots. We've Connect connected them. them. Yeah, They get to a scout ship and head for Durin, since that's the nearest New Republic base, and the ship is too big to land on the planet. And 30 minutes later, Markopius is dead. Uh oh. We hardly knew ye. Meanwhile, Leia is dreaming that she's in her father's palace on Aldera. She's presenting her children as teenagers to him. Then Anakin turns on his red lightsaber and cuts Bale in half. Woof. All three turn to her with their lightsabers drawn. That's a lovely dream to have. Yeah. She hears movement and opens her eyes. And she remembers a pilot named Greglick, who was an addict. Apparently he died in a collision with an asteroid, which killed 17 rebel fighters as well. Before that, though, he described what being high was like to her and also why he did it. And she remembers him because she can't move and the sensation matches with one of his descriptions. So she thinks she's been given Sweet Blossom, which is a drug that immobilizes someone while keeping them awake. Dazeem comes in and looks at her with colorless eyes. She remembers them being brown on the ship. She sees skin and it doesn't look human. It looks slightly articulated and chitinous. Weird. He puts his hand on her, and she falls unconscious once again. Creepy. Luke feels hundreds die in the Force, and thinks that he heard Leia cry out to him, but he's not quite sure. He checks on the ships, but they look fine, and he sees their quote-unquote transmission about everything being okay, so he's like, alright, I must have felt this elsewhere in the galaxy. He senses Leia, and he's sure that she is alive, so he's like, okay, I'm gonna head to the planet. So he does that. As he heads for Namtorius, though, he feels a surge in the Force from the planet. And he thinks that surge in the forest could be what drew Callista here. As he gets to the planet, though, long-range laser cannons start shooting at him, and they take out his rear deflector shield. It's followed quickly by a second shot, and he once again thinks that this must be a live gunner and not an automated one. Just like with the Eye of Palpatine, because this boy has an ego when it comes to things shooting him. Yeah. And he ends up crashing onto the planets. Maybe you're just not that good of a pilot, Luke. <laughs> Think about that. Maybe. Leia wakes up, and the pilot is there. The pilot from, I guess, the pilot that came and to, Oshgod's little... Yeah, who told the transmission was out, and everyone else yeah. is dead. Pilot asks how she, she is, and she says that she's fine. She asks where she is and what happened. He says his name is Legius Sarpatius Vorn, but can't answer her questions. She mentions that Dazim came by, and Legius isn't happy to hear that. He tells her to stay in the sunlight while he goes to get her some water. She then hears Ashka and Dazim talking below her. There's apparently like a balcony in her room. These are the worst villains ever, I might add. And they're, while talking, they talk about two people named Larm and Dimura. And Leia knows that there's an admiral named Larm who works for the Moth, but doesn't recognize the other name at all. She also hears them talking about using the synth droids to get the Death Sea Plague onto the ships undetected. 
She doesn't know a lot about the plague, but she does know that 700 years ago, it wiped out millions of people. It's bad news bears. I know you said that these are the worst villains, but what about the villains from Darksaber? All right. The, the chuckleheads on the Darksaber itself were pretty bad, too. Yeah. <laughs> put, put, put them in separate competing rooms. Who's actually See them wear? race to the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a hut named Beldorian talking with them. He apparently used to be in charge of this territory. Beldorian says Riken will go into a coma soon, which will keep the council busy and distracted. He also says he ruled this planet much longer than your empire existed. And he then surprises Leia by using the force. So we've got a force wielding hut. That's nifty. Sure. <laughs> nifty. <laughs> Leia realizes that she had the plague, but somehow got better, which doesn't match with what she knows. No one got better 700 years ago. She feels her clothes and realizes she has her lightsaber. R2 apparently made sure she had it. Again, these are the worst villains. <laughs> she pulls it out and turns it on and then remembers the terrible dreams she had of her children. So she turns it off and looks for escape, which is when she sees bugs everywhere. I just kind of picture the mummy, the scarabs that you kind of see all over. Yeah. That's the vibe I get. Except the mummy's much better. The bugs flee the light. She also has a bug bite on her wrist. She decides that when the drug wears off, she'll reach out to Luke. So I remember, listener, how in Children of the Jedi, half of the book was spent Luke just searching for his students and not getting anywhere. Half of this book, Leia's going to be in a drug stupor, not doing anything. And Luke will again be searching for someone yeah. and not getting anywhere. <laughs> Ashgod then shouts at Tazim and tells him to leave her alone. Apparently, Legius has told him that Tazim went to see Leia, and Ashgod is not happy about it. But Dazim says she's a Jedi, and he's just trying to keep her under control. Ashgod says the Sweet Blossom will keep her under control. Skywalker will know if she dies. He says to leave her alone until everything is accomplished. And then we'll see. Maybe we can have her as a snack afterwards. Gross. Luke is, of course, alive, and people are attacking his crashed ship. He uses a trick that Callisto learned from her master and brings up a cloud of dust to obscure everything. And he then grabs one of their speeders and drives away from the people ransacking his ship. 3PO does funeral rites for Marcopius at extreme speed. Yeah. They arrive at Durin as it's being attacked. There's apparently a rebellion, a factional revolt against the Durin Central Planetary Council. The insurgents are not fans of the New Republic. 3PO tries to call for help, but only gets static. Apparently, neither he nor R2 would be able to pilot the ship into landing. And with Marcopius dead, that's a problem. I don't understand. Things are not going well for the droids. Yeah. Not going well for anyone right now. Except Han. He's not here. Yeah, Han's fine. Luke heads down a canyon in the speed that he took. And he looks behind him and he sees electricity just running down the sides of the cliffs. And he's like, that's kind of weird. And then it races through the canyon and under the speeder. And Luke feels it as it passes under the speeder. And it takes about five minutes for this lightning ground storm to pass. He thinks that for a planet with such a little life, it's amazing how strongly he feels the force here. Someone comes down the canyon on another speeder, and Luke uses the force to make himself inconspicuous. Apparently, the trick was taught to him by Callista, and Yoda had talked about it, and he figured that Ben had used it when he was, you know, sneaking around the first Death Star back in the day. And he introduces himself as Owen Lars. Remember this point, your listener. Luke says he is Owen Lars. He's not using his real name. <laughs> the person on this Peter is named Arvid Scraff. 
Arvid asks if that crash was Owen's, and Luke says yes. He'd heard a B-Wing could make it onto the planet. But Arvid says a B-Wing could make it through, but if there are Therans firing the guns manually, then it would probably be shot down. So Luke was right. It was not automated guns that got him. Arvid will help Luke get the wreckage to Ruby Gulch. Arvid talks about the Therans, and while doing so, a bug bites Luke in the leg and tries to get inside him. <laughs> he freaks out a little, but Arvid says, don't worry, they just die and get absorbed into the body. They're called drotches. Yuck. I was immediately like, they definitely do not just die and get absorbed into your body. <laughs> Apparently, they're everywhere, just all over the planet. These are what Leia saw. But thankfully, sunlight just kills them. That's lucky, but still, yuck. Serious, serious. Gross, yuck. gross, 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 gross. Hate it, hate it, hate it. <laughs> they get to the B Wing, and there's almost nothing left of it. On their way to the Gulch, they see an attack on a gun station, and Arvid points out several people he knows in the attack. Luke asks about the attack after it's over. One of them says they heard about a shipment of chips and droid parts coming down, and they wanted to make sure the shipment would make it. Because if they don't intervene, the Therans will try and stop it. Luke also hears about a force storm, where tools and other things just start flying around everywhere. And based on what he's being told, he realizes it, that happened exactly when he used the force to get away earlier. So he's like, I, I did that somehow? Oops. Apparently. Leia is late getting back, and Han is worried. We are over 100 pages into the book, and Han only just now shows up. And he shouldn't have bothered. Yeah, no. Like, one thing I liked, liked about Hamley and Trill the Jedi, and she has this to accept this book, is she has a good job of not bring, trying to bring in every character for an arc, but frankly, she could have left Han behind in this one. Oh, yeah. Han, or Han only needed to show up at the very end. Yeah. Or significantly add to his story. No. Yeah, I agree. Drop him. Yeah, do what you do with another character who will show up later. Yeah. He, Chewie, Winter, and the kids are on vacation. Leia is supposedly with them as cover for her trip. Han says to Chewie that she should have listened to Callista and not gone. And thinks she should have run. He's notified that two people have come to visit, but they haven't presented any credentials, but he says to let them in. He figures if there's a fight, he and Chewie can take them. <laughs> uh, the arrogance of a middle-aged white man. Yep. <laughs> Captain Bortrek of the Pierce Bach has found the ship that R2 and 3 are on. He jettisons Marcopio's body out in the airlock and takes the droids onto his ship. And 3PO looks in the hold. It is full of contraband. And as the ship enters hyperspace, he realizes that they're being stolen. Now, I summarize this very briefly. This is like 10 pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't need to go into all those details. Yeah. But it takes 3PO a long time to figure out he's being stolen. Yeah. So, Mon Mothma is the person who has turned up to talk to Han. She tells Han that the entire mission has disappeared. She also tells him about a plague and a revolt on Durin. So, Han is going to contact Lando for help. He also wants to use Mara, Kip, and Wedge if they can be spared. And then they don't really yeah. ever... No, we see Lando, <laughs> but Mara, Kip, and Wedge, I don't think he would come up again. Kip does. He's flying in the battle at the end. That's right. I don't think Mara ever comes up again. I think no, Wedge might be at that battle. No. No? He's at Adamar. You're right. What was the point? I don't know. <laughs> I got, like, she's... She, I'm glad she didn't bring everyone in, but I'm like, why have you mentioned them this way? Yeah. If you have to mention them, mention them a different way. That, yeah, it was weird. Bortrek has been modifying R2 and calls it creative reprogramming. He then has 3PO help him sort and catalog everything in his inventory. 
While they are in the hold, R2 starts pumping carbon dioxide in, and once Bortrek is out, 3PO comes to R2 and they lock him in there. Once he's awake, R2, through 3PO, demands that they be taken to Nimdravis. If not, they'll flood the hold with carbon dioxide again and call the Galactic Patrol. They then lock themselves in safely where Bortrek can't get to them and let him out of the hold. He gets them to Nimdravos and then leaves, cursing the entire time. Meanwhile, on Namchorios, Luke learns that a woman named Cray Mangla arrived here about eight and a half months ago. He also learns that the ground lightning isn't particularly dangerous, though it can make you sick for a day and a half or so. Old-timers don't seem to be bothered by it much. He also learns that old-timers say forest storms used to be common back in the day, but they stopped about 250 to 300 years ago. They also only happened for about 100 years in total. He also thinks that the Night Hammer was destroyed about eight months ago, and Luke has been depressed since then. Some days, he just can't find a reason to get out of bed. My turn for a tangent. Go, go, now, go. On the one hand, <laughs> I feel bad for Luke. I honestly do. On the other hand, the timeline is all over the place. We just learned that Callista got here eight and a half months ago, but he thinks the Night Hammer was destroyed eight months ago. Now, on the surface, that feels like him just rounding down. That's perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable. However, that would assume Callista came here immediately after leaving Yavin 4 and has been nowhere else in this entire time. Mm-hmm. And that just feels very weird that she would come here right away. How did she figure it out so fast? Exactly. <laughs> if she thought this was a place to help, why did she never tell Luke about it instead of going off on Luke's greatest hits force training tour in Darksaber? It feels like she should have been searching slash wandering the galaxy for a while before getting here, so the timeline just does not make sense to me. Also, just a little while ago, it was said a year ago she, he hasn't seen her. Yeah, so like very briefly when we got into the eight and a half months thing, I was suddenly like, oh, well, maybe she spent three or four months like wandering the galaxy. Fine, that makes perfect sense. But apparently no. <laughs> like, if they kept with the year timeline, I would have no issues. Hyperspace. But when Luke's like, eight months since I've seen her. Luke's lost no, Luke, four months to no. hyperspace. No, you're so wrong. <laughs> He's really out of it. He is, but no. Yeah, I know. It's stupid. <laughs> yes. I hate to say that about Luke, but yes, he's an idiot in this book. Uh, in Children of the Jedi, I hated, not hated, but I was very annoyed by him just like searching constantly for students. But I thought his characterization, Hamley did a really good job with. Yeah. I think she's much further off in this book. Yeah. With him. I totally agree. It's still not wildly off the way it could have been, but she she's taken a step back in this book in every, yeah. every way. Like, Show the Jedi is not an exciting book, but this is more boring. Show the Jedi yeah. is more exciting. Luke's characterization is, it's worse. I know he's depressed. I know he's sad. But that timeline just drives me nuts. It's also a little bit of a pet peeve for me only because I don't think their relationship had the foundation for him to have this reaction to it. His first real girlfriend. I, I get that that's probably it, but, and because he's been very alone for a long time. Yeah. Like, I understand all of that, but we didn't see the few months that they actually had together before they parted ways again. And so I, as the reader, don't have the foundation. I only have... 
their 12 hours on the Eye of Palpatine and Children of the Jedi. And while I thought that was a good start... That's all it was. Or a decent start. Like, they had chemistry, and they had stuff in common, and all of that. But then apparently they spent the intervening months learning nothing about each other because they're still talking about Luke's origin story for the first time in Darksaber. Like, I just... I was like, Luke, why do you care? Like, why... And also, why are you being such a stalker? Like, (laughs) she said she needed to go on her own odyssey. It hasn't even been a year. Maybe. We don't know. What is time? Five years. Who knows? (laughs) And you're already, like, just as soon as you get a lead... And he he justifies it to himself by saying like, oh well, if she didn't, if she really didn't want me to find her, she wouldn't have sent this note and allowed the detail to sneak through about where she is. Like, are you sure, Luke? Are you sure? Maybe you should take people at at what they say. Like, take them at their word. Oh goodness. As Luke meditates, he realizes that there is another Jedi in the town he's in. I guess we'll come back to that later. Through the haze of the sweet blossom, Leia feels anger over the death seed plague being released. She's been ordered to stand in the sunlight at noon for 15 minutes every day. Apparently this helps her. Somehow. She hears Legius and Dazim talking and learns that the plague is being carried by the synth droids and their flesh dies over time. So again, they're discussing their secret very plans. sensitive evil plans just out in the open where anybody can Below hear them. the her balcony why she's drunk she can't hear you guys are idiots you have an office talking there because of what happens later i could almost believe that at least for the conversations that legius is part of he's manipulating things so that leia will hear what they're talking about there but i I can believe that of him. I have a hard time believing that Dazim and Ashgod, who are later revealed to have been like quite deep in the manip- the like just ability to manipulate, would fall for that with him. You know? Yeah. She has her lightsaber because R2 hit it on her. And nobody searched her. They might be worse than the Darksaber guys. They might be. <laughs> <laughs> They're bad at kidnapping, that's for sure. Or abductions. They're just bad at abductions. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we both just exchanged this incredulous look with one another. Like, <laughs> how much further can we fall? <laughs> how far can we sink? Legius comes to see Leia and asks how much she overheard. Oh, my God. And she says she heard them talking, but couldn't account what was said. There's also a lot of internal dialogue from Leia where she's thinking, like, I got to be careful because the drug is going to make me want to give stuff away. And I have to not give too much away. And I just imagine, like... I didn't hear anything, dude. I just don't... Yeah, I like... And it's got to be so obvious to anybody on the outside of her that she knows something. And she's just trying to lie poorly. (laughs) Luke finds an old woman who introduces herself as Teselda of the Knights. Doesn't say Jedi, just of the Knights. Luke still calls himself Owen, thinking the name Skywalker would upset a Jedi of old. Fair enough. He says he's looking for someone, and she says, Callista, and says she's now Callista's teacher. While they're talking, Teselda brings up some wine for them to drink. Luke asks where Callista is and if he can go to her, and he drinks the wine, even though he thinks to himself that he doesn't usually drink. 
Deselda says yes. She'll take Luke into a cave in the hills. She asks, do you have a speeder? He's like, yeah, I got a speeder. She then asks about weapons, and Luke points to his lightsaber and blaster. But she says that's not enough. He asks, what's the problem? How can he help? And this actually might be the one moment that we've got Luke's characterization pretty much right. How can I help? I met you five minutes ago. How can I help? Deselda says she once helped fight against the warlords here and led the people to a more peaceful life. And they made her the ruler as a result. However, several years later, a Jedi named Beldorian came and turned her friends against her. He stole her lightsaber and drove her to poverty. He ruled over Quagshul as king, but eventually was ousted by Sethi Oshgod. And Oshgod now has her lightsaber. Luke says, where is it? I will get this for you. And she describes where it's located, and he says, I'll be back. That's the Terminator. I'll be back. But in Luke's boyish charm way of saying it. Tisselda says, she told me I could trust you, Owen. I saw the light in her eyes when she spoke your name. I think you need have no fear of what you will find. As he leaves, he realizes, oh, oh no. Something's wrong. wrong. (laughs) There was something in the wine he drank. It had a synthetic mood enhancer. And probably combined with like a mind compulsion thing just kind of whammied him so he goes back to find out what's really going on and approaches her house from the rear this time and looks in the window and sees inside that she's eating a drotch one of the bugs and then a group of old timers attack and he realizes that these are the remnants of those that she ruled Luke fights without the Force because he doesn't want to cause another Force storm. Then an Athorian and a human stops them. They're named Grup and Snaplance. They are local cops, and Snaplance suspects they killed Oshgod's servants, but has no proof. He also says they kidnapped a woman named Cray. But the next time they saw her, she said that they were just friends. Luke asks where she is now and is told that she left Wegshul within a week of her arrival. The cop doesn't know if she left fleeing something or on a quest towards something. So, Luke knows she was here eight and a half months ago. And then a week later, left the city. Where is she now? Eh. <laughs> I guess he needs to figure that out. Beldorian the Splendid, because <laughs> that's his title. So no, not all huts are the hut. This one is the Splendid. The Splendid. <clears throat> Invites Leia over for tea. How proper? Blech. <laughs> I don't want tea with a hut. It's probably swamp tea. He wears jewelry, and he's very fast-moving for a hut. He's not like Jabba, who just kind of sits there lazing about. He moves around. Leia has also started to suspect that Dazim somehow controls the Death Seed Plague. Baldorian says he misses his old chef, a Kubaz named Jubindi Absak. Apparently, he was a genius with insects, and the new chef just isn't as good. Yuck. He also says that he was a better and stronger ruler than Oshgod. He only lost because he was tired from fighting that Tiselda woman. Leia asks who Tiselda was. He says she was a former colleague and they came here together. She was jealous of his power and tried to discredit him. Even after Oshgod took over, she continued to send henchmen after him. We've now heard two very different stories about these two. Yeah. Who's telling the truth? Honestly, they're both liars. <clears throat> yeah. I think the Dorians is closer to the truth. Yeah. Leia asks why he came to this planet. And he says she can feel it, that ocean of brightness that fills the universe. And he then says that she needs allies and Ashgod cannot be trusted. 
They are then interrupted as Legius comes in and says, at least Ashgod never sold one of his slaves to Dezim. Beldorian calls Legius a philosopher and threatens him. Legius leads Leia away and asks her what Beldorian offered her. As they walk away, Beldorian gives Legius a migraine with the Force. Rude. Legius tells her not to trust Beldorian, you think? <laughs> he won't protect her from Dezim, and he can't defeat Ashgod. He then says that when Ashgod first came here, Beldorian was no match for him. And Leia realizes that the way Legius is speaking about this, that the Ashgod she's met isn't the son. It is somehow the original Ashgod who came here 40 years ago when the Emperor exiled him. Weird. But he looks young. Yeah. So. Weird. Han and Lando are on the Falcon searching for the missing convoy. So Han was able to track Lando down, but no one else from his list, like we mentioned earlier. I guess. One of them does show up, like, in the finale, but that's yeah. it. Yeah, it good. Han's storyline is irrelevant, basically. They are using long-range scanners and have found a possible match, because apparently the Falcon has scanners that can, like, search through systems from far... The technology in this book is weird. Maybe Lando brought that on board? Yeah, I can believe that. I don't know. It ends up not being one of Leia's ships. Instead, it's a ship called the Corbantis. Based on the damage to the ship, they think there must be at least a destroyer in the area. I find it very interesting that they specifically say destroyer and not star destroyer. Oh yeah, I was so confused by that. Like, is that a Sometimes the slang or the lingo in the books feels wrong. And I feel like that it varies from author to author, obviously. Yeah. And so one thing I appreciate that Stackpole also do is they'll like they'll describe what an eyeball is so you know what they're talking about, but just like a destroyer. Like, it's obviously a Star Destroyer, but I've never once heard it just referred to as a destroyer. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. It felt very out of place. <sighs> this whole sequence was super creepy, though. They head inside and find dead crew throughout most of the ship. There are 17 survivors near the reactor trying to stay warm. And, of course, the result of this is extreme radiation poisoning. So that's one of my personal uh, just, like, icks. Kind of, like submerged machinery and water like yeah and while this is in the water it's similar enough space well just like the idea of radiation sickness really scares me for some reason yeah and i think we're both in agreement that han's storyline should be dropped in this book so it doesn't add much to it but this is one of the more effective scenes of the book yeah yeah i was <sighs> glad it wasn't the last scene that i read before going to sleep because i felt like i was gonna have nightmares about it oh. Han and Chewie are able to get the survivors onto the Falcon, and they are in really rough shape, and just they've got radi radiation burns just all over their bodies. And Han and Lando are talking, trying to figure out where the best place to take the survivors. Like, you know, what's the closest place that will have medical personnel that can help them out that they can get to quickly? Uh, but as they're talking, they are suddenly attacked. But weirdly enough, they don't see a ship in the area. There's no base to have like TIE fighters and they're very confused about what is firing at them. And then they see something very small, only a couple of meters long, about the size of a laser cannon like you would see on an X-Wing. And Han is very confused, wondering where they came from and who's controlling them because they are far too accurate for drone shooting. Everybody thinks that humans shoot more accurately than drones in this in these books. It doesn't like it doesn't quite track for me. There actually is an, I think, where is it? There's a short story in 
I want to say it's Tales from the Empire, or maybe it's Tales from the Dining Hunters, one of those two, about IG-88 improving on human shots. Mm. So it just doesn't quite match up with this idea. Yeah. They do escape by jumping to hyperspace. They're not really sure what just happened. And frankly, neither is the reader. I think this is one of those times we're not supposed to. Yeah, that's fine. Hard to tell. They're introduced. Okay. She's introducing a component of the mystery. However, this storyline is so disconnected from everything else that's going on that it doesn't function very well as a clue for us. It's just there. Weird things happen to Han and Lando. That's a day in their lives, right. honestly. Meanwhile, back on the farm. Woohoo! Leia asks Legius why he's here and why Beldorian called him a philosopher. He says that he is a philosopher and a wanderer. He's also a competent designer of an artificial intelligence system for spacecraft and a very good hollow faker. So Beldorian has him editing and retaping his vast library of Hutti's pornography. I forgot about this detail until I was reading that bullet point. I'm so sorry. I hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually I read that sentence to you before you read the book and you were just I like, I think what? you did, yeah. Why? And I was like, great, this is what I'm in for. He offers to make her something of Han and her children to comfort her, but Leia declines because that's super creepy. Indeed. Yeah. This guy's got quite the resume. Yeah, I am confused about why you would introduce yourself as a philosopher and a wanderer if you're like a holofaker too. A computer science engineer. You know? <laughs> Renaissance man? Oh my god. I hate that term. <laughs> I feel like it's never used by people who are actually Renaissance men. <laughs> Fair enough. Ashgod comes to speak with Legius, and Leia listens in. Once again. And Legius says he'll begin bringing the core up the day after tomorrow. Ashgod says he'll be gone for three days, and Beldorian will be in charge, but he's not allowed to see Leia. Oh yeah, and that's going to stop him. Everybody sucks here. Yeah. Meanwhile, Luke is just working as a mechanic. He's just decided to settle down on this planet, live his life. Trying to find news about Calista, no idea what's happened with Leia, so he's like, this is the best way I can do it, just by blending in. Yeah, it's fine. I'm just teasing. He learns that people are selling the crystals on the planet to the Lorinar Corporation. Unmolly Darm shows him one of the crystals. She puts it in a recharger block, and Luke has a physical reaction to it based on what he feels in the Force. She says that Lorinar can reprogram and realign the crystals to use them somehow, and that they're called spook crystals because they do look kind of ghostly or whatever. And yeah, Luke's reaction in the Force is very like it's very visceral, and it's something that doesn't happen to other people. So I'm always like, dude, you okay? <laughs> she also tells Luke about a meeting at Oshgod's tonight. If his friend is still here, there may be someone there who will have seen her. So Luke goes to the meeting, but unsurprisingly and predictably, there is no sign of Callista or any other prisoner. Luke recognizes many of the people from the attack on the gun station, and while there, he's invited to go on a job at Ten Cousins. He'll help with the pickup. Ashgad enters. It's the first time Luke has actually seen him in person. He tells the crowd that his meeting with Leia didn't go as hoped. He apologizes for his enthusiasm and folly, and he then plays a hollow of Leia, which says that the Republic can't afford to support a minority. It could damage the Republic's reputation. The crowd is angry and starts yelling, Luke knows that it's a fake and yells out that Oshkod is a liar, but he goes unheard. If you've seen <clears throat> Batman Forever, the scene when 
Bruce is trying to yell that he's Batman in the crowd and everyone else around him is yelling is kind of this picture <laughs> I have in my mind for this. You haven't seen Batman Forever though, I know. Nope. Missing out. Nope. So in this hollow, there are Nogri clearly visible, but they never appear in public with Leia, so that's a good clue that it's a fake. Yeah. Um, also just what she's saying, also really not what she would say. Yeah. Luke needs to stop himself from saying more so that he doesn't draw attention to himself. And he also needs to figure out what Oshgod stands to gain from all of this. Han gets 15 radiation burn survivors to Nimdrovus. So two of them sadly passed away. I think unsurprisingly. Yeah. The base apparently is under quarantine because 40 people are dead from a plague. What rose? There's no virus, no bacteria, no poison, no allergy, and Bacta just makes it worse. This sounds familiar. Uh-huh. Han leaves the Falcon, hears the watch from the Corbantis, and wants to decode them. He tells Lando that he's not back in two hours to leave without him, and says, find Leia, whatever it costs. Meanwhile, R2 and 3PO are singing at a bar to try to raise <laughs> money. They've decided to start their own two-man band. Two-bot band? Two-droid band? Two-bot band. They talk with a Chadra fan reporter named Yarbulk Yem. He likes their music and helps stop them from being stolen again. And he then gives them money to help them get wherever they need to go. You were convinced we would never see Yarbulk again. Oh, yeah, I totally was. I was like, this is a throwaway camp character from Hambly. And then we did see him again, kind of repeatedly. <laughs> kind of a throwaway character, though. Huh? Still kind of a throwaway character. Sure, he's a plot device. Yeah. 3PO sees Han. In the distance. So they're on the same planet right now. Han's apparently involved in a fight. What is he not? The droids try to get to Han, but they're unable to. They actually head for the docking bay and arrive just as the Falcon takes off. So there's a quarantine. There's a fight. Han gets back to the ship and takes off despite the quarantine. Probably because of the fight. Probably. And he didn't get sick, apparently. I guess. He has plot armor. Yeah. Plot plague armor. Handy. I would love that. Right? <laughs> Despite his anger at what's going on, Luke still goes on the job so he can figure out Oshkod's plan. Apparently, Oshkod's father could have been Emperor if not for Palpatine. Which, what? Okay, I have a theory. No. So, the Thrawn trilogy was really early in the cycle of publishing, right? For Star Wars books? Essentially the first Star Wars books. There were a few from the late 70s, early 80s, but it was the start of the, what I would consider the, the EO. Yes. So, Zahn started this unfortunate trend. I say unfortunate only because his version of this trend was good and original and believable, in that he wanted to create a follow-up to the Emperor. And so he created Thrawn. Thrawn is a great character. We don't need to go into more detail than that. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows what we think of Thrawn. But I feel like a ton of authors in the time period that, like in the 90s, that published after Zahn were all trying to repeat that magic. They were all trying to create some kind of follow-up to the Emperor. They all wanted a character who could have been Emperor, if not for XYZ. This is the worst one. <laughs> yeah. I think actually that's why I like a character like Isard or like Dala or like Zinj. Because Isard and Dala didn't want to be Emperor. 
Mm-hmm. Full stop. They said that, and I believe that. Of it. Well, I believe that doll, not necessarily of Isard, but I still like that she... I do think it's telling that the two women in the group are the ones who kept loudly procl- proclaiming that they didn't want to be emperor. Fair enough. It's almost like the men who wrote them didn't believe that women could be in positions of power. But they both held positions of power. Sure, but not the position of ultimate power. Sure. And then Zinn, just because he was just so silly. Yeah. Like, he, he knew his limitations. I also like what Anderson does in Darksaber and, like, shows that everyone left is a bunch of idiots. Yeah. Or, like, Krennel in Ice Heart's Revenge. Like, I, I, I like it when the author show, like, you know, these guys are a bunch of fools who are lost without Palpatine, Vader, and Tarkin. And then you've got Ashgod's father who's like, I would have been Emperor if not for Palpatine. You believe that? Who else believes that? Nobody uh, believes that. Like, I feel like this book, they've dropped hints about how powerful he was, but honestly, I... I'm trying to think back to prequel era EU books and before the prequel era. I don't remember him ever being in those books. Maybe he was a throwaway line somewhere in there, but like oftentimes books written in the prequel era will try and connect to 90s era EU. Why did they bother? Well, like Isaac's <laughs> father, for example, will show up in certain oh, prequel era books. Interesting. I don't. Maybe Oscar does. I've just completely forgotten him. I don't like this character, but yeah. It's been so long since I read anything from the prequel era that if it was small enough, I definitely don't remember it. Yeah. I mean, I don't even remember broad strokes at this point of many of the prequel era books. You skipped a lot of them, to be fair. Yeah, but I read some of them. Anyway, being in charge of trade here on... This backwater of backwater worlds. What's it called again? Namchorios? Mm-hmm. On Namchorios isn't much and would be a huge step down for the son of the heir heir to the imperial throne, I guess. So on this pickup, Ashgod appears to be out to arm everyone in the Rationalist Party. The supply drop-off is just this huge multiple crates of weapons. Examining one of the blasters, Luke realizes that it came from Leia's ship. One blaster has a custom grip that Luke recognizes as having been made by Han for Leia. That's sweet, but also... Why? Weird? Yeah. (laughs) Who does... This is just like the... I was about to say the author, and then I decided to change my mind and say Hambly, and I was about to say the Hambly. Um, Over the Hambly from now on. The Hambly. (laughs) Sounds like the Lorax. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the Hambly decided there needs to be something in this crate that beyond a shadow of a doubt tells Luke that something bad happened to Leia, right? I feel like that's... Recognizing the gun from the ship, I think is enough. Yeah, but I th- I feel like for some reason she wanted there to be... Something personable? More, but I don't think it was necessary. Yeah. Like, couldn't Luke instead have gotten an impression from one of the blasters that Leia had touched it? Like, through the Force? Does he have that ability? I'm trying to think. He can have that ability if the plot wants him to. That's how Star Wars works. Fair enough. Had that ability been created yet in the EU? Oh, I have no idea. I don't actually know who uses it first ever. Time is a lake to me. All of this stuff exists in the same <laughs> <Fair enough>. period. <laughs> I was just like, this is something the Force can do, right? Well, like, I'm actually fine with her having a, like, a personal blaster that is hers. It, just, it felt weird that Han is the one who made it. Yeah, why? <laughs> why do we need that? There are initials on it. Yeah, back at the compound, mansion, house, place. Leia wakes up with her mind clear for the first time since she arrived. 
The previous night's water had not been drugged. She calls to Luke in the force, but knows that he doesn't hear her. Everything is just weird with the force on this planet. And she, I think she felt like she was being like blocked somehow or muffled or something. something. Legius comes by and he says that Ashgod isn't a bad man. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Because I think you're wrong. <laughs> he gives her a comm link and also changes the code on the door so she can't leave. And he tells her to call him if he comes in. Doesn't say who, just he. I think he's talking about Beldorian or Dazim. 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 Got it, yeah. Hard to keep track of all of these. This is also why he changes the code on the door so Dazim can't come in here. Yeah. He's going to take the comm link back just before Oshgod returns. So clearly he's doing things that are not being approved by his Employer. nice guy boss. Yeah. He also tells her not to see Beldorian again and to spend as much time as possible in the sunlight. Why? It's important. I don't know. We'll find out. I mean, I, I do know, but I just think it's dumb. <laughs> Once alone, Leia tries to pick the lock. It takes an hour and a half, but she's eventually able to get it open. With the comm link. Like, transmitting frequencies into the lock. Andy. And no alarm goes off. Again, great villains, these guys. She's drug, don't worry about it. And she then closes it and makes sure she can reopen it, again, using the same code before she heads out. Because she wants to go get back in here if she needs to. And she's probably going to need to. So this is the most confident Leia has been in this book. Yeah. To be fair, she's been drugged for most of the book at this point, but still. Kidnapping's a real theme in the EU, huh? 90s EU, yeah. Just like, they're and very preoccupied I, I, with abductions I, I, and kidnappings. That's also, I think, another one from Leia's on. Oh, yeah, he wants the kids. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> the problem with all of Zahn's ideas, they're fresh the first time around, and then after that, they're all terrible. <laughs> if they can be done in different interesting ways, then maybe. But... I guess I'll reserve the they're all terrible thing for later. Yeah. At, at time of recording this episode, I'm only 80 pages into Crystal Star. <laughs> so that, far, it's fine. Which features more kidnapping. Yeah, Yay. but so far, the kidnapping's fine. Like, I'm not upset about it. <laughs> and that's my favorite plot line in that book. <laughs> anyway, we're not talking about that yet. <laughs> no, that's next month's listener. Leia snoops. She finds a computer room. What is this? Your 90s era basement? With the big tube computer in it. That was what I was picturing. <laughs> like one of my friends, when we were in like late grade school, early middle school, everybody in the area that I lived had like a finished basement if they had a house because Midwest. They, because Midwest basements are common. And so the computer room was in the basement, but that was also like her dad's workout room and he was a hunter so he had like deer mounted on the walls so when anybody's he would have deer in here yeah so when someone says computer room that is inevitably what i picture if it's in a domestic setting wow i had no idea yeah (laughs) and she's apparently to immediately get on these computers oh yeah no no security (laughs) downloads and print information um about the fake hollows and more about what ashka's planning to do and she learns that he has a team of two dozen synth droids. And she looks at a map of the compound and finds a way out. There's a really long... St- so it's at the top of the cliffside, and there's a staircase that basically goes down through the cliff to the base of it. To a hangar where there's, I like, think the vehicles. Up, up above, so I think the hangar um, Really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. It, they, she has to... Later on, she'll go to the hangar, not up above. Yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. 
I really miss Stackpole's ability to describe to describe a space when I'm reading something by Hambly. <laughs> like I have you thought you would say no idea where anything is on this planet. Like I have no idea what it looks like. The structure part of the whole like computer room thing popping into my mind was I was just so desperate for a point of reference. <laughs> like I can't I can't imagine the way anything looks in this book. So not quite, but you know how in Glass Onion, when Miles Braun says this is just some rich a-hole house, uh-huh. I kind of imagine a giant compound like that for where Liz is being held. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just less glass onion. Yeah, more transparent steel. Yeah. So, having found her way out, Leia heads down a dark staircase and uses her lightsaber for light, because again, she still has her weapon. Nothing found. As she goes down, drotches are all around her and biting her. That's bad. And then she finds a giant crab thing in the dark. It looks like a drotch, but worse and obviously bigger. Think of like a a cockroach with crab arms. I hate I hate this. Yeah. She's feeling really weak, so she has to like get back to her room and pass out on the bed. She does not make it out. She's able to hide her lightsaber and the data she downloaded before she falls to unconsciousness. And she calls out to Luke once again before going to sleep. Creepy, creepy scene. Oh, yeah. I don't like that stairway. No, bad stairway. Bad stairway full of bugs. (laughs) I don't like crab cockroach. I don't like the bug thing. Yeah. Going on in this this book. (laughs) I mean, I don't think I'm supposed to like it, but... And then we get a very small scene of 3PO and R2, and 3PO is trying to book passage on a ship for himself and R2 to Cyblock 12. He's disguised as a person. So he's got a robe on, and is the hood up, or is there a mask on, or just a hood? Or a I think on? the hood is up, and he has some kind of wig. Yeah. <laughs> Am I, I could, imagining that? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> weird. And then after that, like, page or two scene, we jump back to Leia. Yeah. So Leia's awake again. She goes through the data. The data includes communication between Oshkod and Moff Gatelis, information about the Lorinar Corporation's involvement, as well as Leia's disappearance, the poisoning of Riken, and the involvement of the Rationalist Party. But Oshkod doesn't mention the Death Seed Plague by name, just calls it the Plague, <laughs> and says that it's completely in his control. It will only target Republic ships and bases. At this point, Leia is just so mad. She's, in fact, so mad she's ready to kill with the Force, like Vader, or like Anakin in her dream. She also thinks that her fainting onto the bed, it felt like the Death Seed Plague, which she had when she was on the ship. But Dazeem was nowhere near her. First real big hint, I think, about what the Death Seed Plague is, but still unclear. Yeah. The combination has been changed on the door, so Leia uses her lightsaber and is determined to escape before Oshkod returns. She goes to Oshkod's study and gets all the info she can find about the plague. And she also gets just a map of not just the compound, but the local area. She decides not to go to the nearby village. It's too close. It's too obvious. Instead, she'll head to the gun station that's about 16 kilometers away in the other direction. Then she hears Oshkod's voice. He has come back early. He's arguing with Dazim, saying he shouldn't have gone near her. Dazim says he didn't. Legius says she was weakened, but didn't actually say Dazim was there. Just heavily implies it. Oshkod asks if it could have happened any other way, and Dazim says no. Only he has the strength and is old enough and developed enough, whatever that means. Ashgod says that he had to come back. He clearly needs something. He then pleads with Dazim to not be angry with him. And Dazim then unfastens his robe. And he's not human underneath. 
This is, I think, the most disgusting scene of the book. So weird. So weird. <laughs> Instead, tubes, orifices, and groping little mouth modules are all over his body. And his human mouth has a long tongue like a serpent's. I kind of think like the uh, those creatures from Galaxy of Fear that we read. Mm-hmm. That's... Yep. And then Ashgard puts his mouth to Dazim's chest. Dazim's tongue goes to the nape of Ashgard's neck. And after a minute, Leia hears Ashgard say thank you. And apparently, at the start of this sequence and scene, Ashgard was looking kind of... Old. Frail, almost. But the crackle of age is now gone from him. Creepy, disgusting, I don't like it. <laughs> After they leave, so does Leia. She also deactivates the synth droids on her way out. She gets to an anti-grav unit, takes it to a cliff, and jumps off. Whee! Luke wakes up, belatedly feeling Leia call to him in the Force, so her message did eventually get through. It's kind of weird that this scene didn't happen where the R2-3PO scene happened, and just switch them i feel like that would make more sense i think it was if it's all happening like in order hambly's trying to indicate that it took this long for leia's call for help to get to luke that feels weird what doesn't feel weird in this book it all feels weird it's all wrong (laughs) like it's all dumb (laughs) and then we jump over to 3po and r2 they boarded a ship while a fight was going on and they see Yarbuk running around, and they call him over, and he joins them aboard. The captain comes in and says there's a reward for Yarbuk in seven systems. Weird. And then we jump back to Luke. At this point in the book, we start jumping around. In it's short just a scenes. lot, yeah. Luke senses invisible watchers nearby. He thinks that they're the planet's unseen original inhabitants. He calls out, but there's no answer. It should be said that at this point, he's like in the wasteland on his way to wherever he thinks Leia is. Yeah. Yarbuk says the Lornar Corporation is arming the, dis- the dissidents on every planet in the sector with top-of-the-line weapons. And there have apparently been three attempts on his life since he started this story. The droids get to Republic personnel, but they don't believe 3PO's story. Unsurprising. <laughs> Leia survived the jump, of course, and has made her way to the gun station. And when she arrives, a woman finds her. It's Callista! I told you she was with the Therans. And she joined up with the Therans. This, though, one thing I want to talk about real fast. Going into this book, you were convinced that Callista would be one of the primary characters. I was convinced of a lot of wrong things. There would be, I think, several point of view scenes from her. Yep. And before this point, you were like, is she even going to show up? Because at this point, we are 200 pages, 300 pages into this book or something. I think we're like two-thirds of the way through the book. Maybe three-quarters. And she finally shows up. Like, before this point, she is a ghost. Yeah. She's back to being a ghost. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. And Leia finds her without even looking. I feel like it's practically unnecessary to say so, but that's disappointing to me. Yeah? And the way that this all ties off is disappointing to me. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean... I actually kind of like that she was so absent, but it was still dragging force for, at least for Luke, because... At least it changed the formula of how she was used in the previous two books. I guess. I just wanted more from her. Like That, yes. I wanted to know more about what was going on with her. I think what I would have liked is once we meet her, then start seeing point of view from her. Yeah. Because we've seen Anderson do this. I think we've seen Hamley do this in Children. They will introduce characters late in the story and then see POVs from them. 
Maybe Hambly didn't do that. Maybe that's just Anderson. I think you're just thinking of Anderson. Okay. I'm just saying Anderson does You can't do Hambly. She just clearly didn't want to. Yeah. I don't know. It's all, It almost feels a little bit to me like somebody was holding a gun to her head and was like, you got to get rid of Callista. Well, here's the thing that's weird is this is written, like we said, about two years after Darksaber and Children of the Dead came out. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of the books written in that time frame that were take place later in the timeline and Callista is just not in them. Mm-hmm. And Darksaber, the way it ends, you can just believe that as that's why Callista's gone. So I don't feel like you didn't need this book. That's one of the problems with this book. Is it feels unnecessary. Oh, yeah. Because that... That could have been the end to Luke and Calista's story. Unless these, like, crystals are going to come up later. In regards to Callista herself, you mean? No, just generally, speaking? just generally. But you don't need Callista for that. No, but she's Hambly's special OC. Yeah, that's fair. They but all have them. For a special OC, she barely uses her in this book. I know, because, but I think that's because somebody was like, look, she's never coming back. So you can use her here, but, like, yeah. there's a limit. I don't know. It's nothing makes sense. <laughs> Chris and Leia talk, and she says, "As Jedi, they are weapons of the Force. They always have been since the beginning of the Order. Ever since people began to understand the existence of the Force." And she doesn't think Luke really understands that. People have tried to use Luke, but he's stronger than he knows, and he has a pure heart. Does he? <laughs> he doesn't hunger after power, and doesn't understand those who do. What? No. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he hungers after power. I think that's true. There are different types of hungering after power, in my opinion. Luke hungers after a very different type of power than, like, Vader or the he Emperor. He knowledge, I think is what I would say. And knowledge is power, right? Yeah. So. But she, she's talking about the power of a Vader or a Palpatine. Yeah. Well, she should be more specific. Clissa says, but you understand, to Leia. And Leia says, yes, she does understand hungering after power. How can she not? And Clissa then says, then you understand why I had to leave? And Leia says, yes. Callista then talks about Tiselda and Beldorian, and Leia realizes that Callista is the slave that Beldorian sold to Dezim. Clissa then says, as long as I can be manipulated like that, as long as I can be used, as long as I lack my own power in the Force, I'm a prime candidate for the dark side. I'm standing in its shadow now. If there is a way for me at all, I have to follow it alone. I will love Luke until the day I die and beyond, but I will not pull him into that shadow with me. Please, Leia, make him understand. Don't. I still don't understand the whole, if she's cut off from the forest, she can still access the dark side. I will never understand it. That's fair, but given that, I do appreciate the sentiments, and I agree with this. I guess. I mean, Luke seems to go dark side when it's convenient for him. So. Like Anakin? Yeah, just like father, like son. Just drop of a hat. <laughs> We've been rewatching some Clone Wars episodes where, like, just at the at what it's not the slightest provocation, but it's like it's pretty dark. You know, it's any other most other Jedi in that's in the scenarios that Anakin is in would not just instantly go on a murder spree, but Anakin right, is like, civilians. yeah, but Anakin is like, somebody killed Obi Wan. All right. I no longer have any moral compass. (laughs) And to some extent, just because Dark Empire exists, I just have to believe that Luke inherited a little bit of that. I think so. On the scanner, again, the long-range scanner, Han sees an invading fleet coming into the system. And then we cut away. Which system? Whatever, wherever. Wherever he is. is. He was recently at Nindravis. 
I assume he's still in the same system. I don't know. R2 and 3PO save Yarbulk from going out the airlock, and then he tells them to keep quiet about Leia's kidnapping. Just because no one's believing them, it's drawing too much attention to them. Just keep your mouth shut. Luke arrives at the cliff below Oshkod's compound. He finds a stairway. It's teeming with billions of life forms in the Force, but something feels wrong, rotten, and evil within it. So this is that stairway that Leia tried to go down. Yeah. This is the other end of it. Oh. The Force is gone by now. And has found his lady love. He goes up and feels a half dozen huge drotches on his leg. They are larger than the ones he's seen, and they have limbs. <sighs> He starts feeling bad as he's not able to get rid of all of them. And then he sees that the floor is just covered with drotches. He decides to flee as he feels his life sort of leeching away. Then he sees an incredibly large drotch. It seems almost sentient. And it feels like this drotch orchestrated the attack on Luke. This is that giant one that lay us, I think. Yeah. Luke uses the force to blow the drotches away from him and decides to keep going up using the force to keep them away, even though he knows it's going to have consequences elsewhere on the planet. Leia and Callista, in fact, see the force storm and wonder if Beldorian is using the force. Because, makes sense, prime candidate. Callista says that the drotches are the Death Seed Plague. They're life drinkers. The Grismiths knew about them, which is why they put the drotches on the planet 700 years ago to try and kill the prisoners that they put on the planet. But, apparently, the light from the sun is fragmented by the crystals, making radiation that keeps the drotches small and easily absorbed by their hosts. That's disgusting. Hang on, I'm confused about a point here. I thought that the drotches were native to this planet. No. No? The Grithmas put them here. Well, that means that they came from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So aren't they somewhere else in the galaxy already? Isn't that dangerous? Yes. Or did they round all of them up somehow and put them here? Oh my god, whatever. We don't know. <laughs> Maybe we know, but it was buried in like a paragraph the size of two whole pages. Yeah. <laughs> the prophet of Theros somehow knew this, which is why large ships with heavy shielding are not allowed to leave the planet, and it has been kept in quarantine ever since. That way the Drotches can't sneak off on a ship. Makes sense. Calista thinks the Drotches are sentient after a fashion. It does make sense, but it also sort of doesn't. Like, why... What... I guess it depends on the type of radiation, but you'd think that even a small ship would have enough radiation protection. Apparently not. So, like, the people who are flying in those ships are just... Well, it's the radiation from the crystals, which clearly doesn't affect anyone. Ah, okay, got it. Oh my god, this is so confusing. Yes. I'm so sorry. Maybe it's not that confusing. I I am confused, though. (laughs) Apparently, the drotches can mimic shapes, chemistry, electromagnetic currents... Down to the cellular level. And this is why you don't pick them up on a scan. Like, they can't be detected because they become the same substance as their hosts, even while draining the life out of them? So this is How, how they, does that work? <laughs> this is how they were snuck onto Leia's ships. They were with the synth droids. Okay. They were in their skin. Okay. And then the bugs crawled out of their skin and infected other people, and no one knows the horde of bugs on board? <laughs> Or at the base where Hollywood, no one knows the horde of bugs biting everyone? Wait, I was assuming that because this... Okay, I was assuming something else. I was assuming the synth droids are infected, but because they're synth droids, they're not feeling the effects, right? Like The skin is dying slowly. Yeah, yeah, but like they're able to work on... Like Oshkod and his people are able to kind of work on that. And just by the infected, asymptomatic sort of, 
synth droid being in the room, you get infected. Maybe, but the rest of the book, it feels like you only get infected by the bugs biting you. But there's also Dazeem. Like, can Dazeem well, sure, just, he's... like, activate a miasma in the room with the synth droids? True. That is possible. But they, they also talk about, because later on, towards the end of the book, we know there are drawers that are off planets. Oh, yeah, right. So, and Dazeem's also not the base that Han was at. I don't f- know. <laughs> You're just going to have to beat me. Okay. <laughs> I'm so fed up. <laughs> this book is so dumb. <laughs> The big ones are apparently called Captain Drotches. <laughs> aye, aye, Captain Drotch. And they can drain life from victims out of smaller drops. Please don't suck my blood. The more life a Drotch drinks, the more intelligent it becomes. And those big things that lay us on the staircase were Captain Drotches. Apparently, <laughs> people used to eat them to absorb the life and energy into themselves. Gross. Why? Ugh. Ugh. There goes my appetite. Was Hambly just like tripping I don't, so I, hard on some LSD while she wrote this book. I've got a lot of problems with Children of the Jedi, but I at least kind of get what she was trying to yeah, do. Yeah, this feels like a totally <sighs> different level of incoherence. I feel like I'm being and kind of... disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm being kind of mean. It's a bad book. But, like, it is bad, right? That's boring. Yeah. Those are, like, the two... <laughs> it's uh, it's a Venn diagram of disaster for uh, us. I, I, I can forget bad and boring. Bad. It is not boring. I am entertained by these idiots. The idiots in this book, I'm not entertained by. They're two idiots. Yeah. This is why I say they're worse than Durga and the rest. I mean, I was bored during parts of Dark Saber. Right, I'll parts, just put but, out there. But still. Whenever Dala was on the page, I was interested. And then otherwise, I was like, I don't care. <laughs> That's fair. But it was, a, it was a much more interesting book overall than this. Okay. Well, back at the gun station. The Force Storm is too big for Beldorian, they've decided, and they wonder what's going on. Callista is about to tell Leia about Dazeem when the Force Storm interrupts them. Leia feels Luke's terror and desperation and realizes that he is the cause. And then we see Luke. He gets to the door and he sees someone on the ground covering drotches. So he's gotten to the very top of the staircase. And Dazeem then enters and just kind of shoos the drotches off the body. He literally goes, shoo, shoo. I just have a picture of him like waving his hands, going, shoo. And he then picks up a captain drotch and puts a mouthy hand on it. And he says, sweet, multiple times and absorbs the life from it. Dazeem might be the most disgusting thing in Star Wars. And that's saying something. My stomach is actually churning right now. <laughs> I don't like this. The amount on the ground is, of course, Legius. And Dazeem is about to take his life, and Legius whispers, Leia. And at this point, Luke intervenes, and Dazeem runs. Because it took a man saying Leia for Luke to save this man's life? What? I told you, dark side, drop of a hat. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hamley, I think, really got Luke's interpretation so right in Trouble Dread Eye. She is so wrong in this scene, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He would have intervened, I think. If he's trying to wait to find information, that's fine. I mean, but I think Legis you could, is clearly about to die. You could write it in a different way to indicate that Luke is really spent from his ordeal on the stairway, and so he's sluggish and he's slow to react, and that would make a lot more sense. Yeah, this seems... and like hearing Leia's name spurs him on. Yeah, yeah, that would make a lot more sense. Just saying. That's what he was trying to do, which didn't come across like that to either of us. Yeah, because the sentences are as long as pages. Yeah. <laughs> So many commas, so many double dashes. 
so many semicolons. Double dashes are a sin of mine, so I feel fine <laughs> criticizing other people who use them. <laughs> Legius tells Luke to run. He tells him that Dazim can command the Drotches, who have already bitten Luke. Because remember, Luke just got a ton of bug bites coming up that staircase. Luke asks about Leia. Legius says that she fled, and Ashgod and Beldorian are both looking for her. He was going to try to find her himself, but Luke uses the Force and gets both of them outside. So I guess they're a team now. Fun team? Callista says, so now we're back to Callista and Leia, says that Dazim can control Drotches and drinks life from them. Apparently, he's been keeping both Oshkod and Baldorian alive for all this time. This is the original Oshkod. This is not his son, which has been, Leia has thought throughout this book, that it was the original, she just had no proof. Yeah. So Dazim is a hormonally altered, mutated, and vastly overgrown 250-year-old Drotch. Yuck. Yeah. Who looks like a human, kind of? At least in the face? This sequence of scenes would have worked really well in a movie. Yes. Because they're going back and forth. Callista's explaining stuff about the Drotches, and Legius is too, we're about to get to. And they kind of just keep flipping back and forth. But in text, oh my god. With a different writer, it can work better. Still not great, but I think it can work better in text than this. Yeah. But I agree. This, This is much better in a visual medium than a written medium. Yeah. So Legius directs Luke to the hills, saying that ground lightning can kill the Drotches. There isn't any, but they can rig a jump circuit through the crystals in the hills. The lightning in this situation won't actually kill the Drotches. It will just weaken them enough for Legius and Luke's bodies to kill them. And then they'll be fine when the sun comes up. Again, with the sunlight thing. It's because of the radiation, right? Yeah. Luke hears voices again, and they are saying something about Leia, and he asks, who are you? Legius, though, answers and says, he's a failure, the blackest sheep of a houseborn. Poor poor guy. He says that Zim started out life as an appetizer. Beldorian's Kuba chef named Zubindi, who we have heard about earlier, remember when Beldorian was complaining about his new chef wasn't as good, got the idea to raise a drotch for far longer than it should live. Um, Because apparently Kubas are known for making delicacies out of bugs and insects and well huts like eating weird things who's like i'm gonna make an insect dish out of a drotch for my hut master so he kept the drotch alive for a very long time it grew 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 and then eventually it enslaved zubindi and then also gave him life so basically after dazim enslaves someone he can then keep them their lives their life going yeah they are alive for a very long time it eventually enslaved Baldorian. And with the hut weekend, it was easy for Ashgod to take over when he arrived. And Legia says there's now not enough left of Ashgod to go against Dazim. And he only found out about this seven or eight months ago. And he's always wanted to do something about it, but just never did. Seven or eight months ago. Hmm, I wonder what happened seven or eight months ago. Uh-huh. I wonder if a certain someone arrived on the planet yeah. seven or eight months ago. He says there's a ship ready to go, and there's a program to get past the gun stations. It just needs to be put into it. And it will be loaded with spook crystals, and Dazim will be aboard. So even though the spook crystals are bad for Drotches, spook crystals are still leaving the planet. Why? We'll find out. Meanwhile, R2 and 3PO get to Cyblock 12 via the mail. I think it was Yarbrook's idea, rather than trying to charter a ship, just stick them in the mail. Yeah. Big box. 
They see two dead men nearby, and there are dead bodies all over the city. They get to a comms tower and send out a message in six million languages that says, help. That's dark. Yeah. Meanwhile, Han is told that communications with Cyblock went dead about 48 hours ago. Han sends Lando to get Wingtip, a good slicer who can also fake hollows. Han tells him to offer 30,000 credits and gives Lando a message that he wants Wingtip to fabricate Leia saying. Leia, air quotes. Hollow fake Leia. Deep fake Leia. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little disturbing how relevant some of this book is today. Yeah, weird. Regis mentions that Tesselda sent a girl named Callista to steal the lightsaber from Beldorian. She failed, and Beldorian took her prisoner. And she seemed to think that Tesselda could make her a Jedi again, but Beldorian ended up giving her to Dazeem. Regis told her that she was going to be given to Dazeem, and that is when she escaped from the compound. Legius says he used to love someone, but had to let her go. He went after her at first, and it hurt her terribly. He eventually realized that if he truly loved her, he needed to let her go. Just hold this. Try your hardest to hold this in your mind for later. It sounds irrelevant right now. It sounds like it's only relevant because it's a message that Luke needs to hear. But it will be relevant. But weirdly, it will be more relevant than that later. Although, you know what I was thinking of when I was reading this? Hmm. Bob's Burgers. If you love something, set it on fire. The couch. The couch, yeah. (laughs) Wow, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. That's great. Don't set things on fire, listener, please. I don't know. Maybe you love, like, a nice fire pit. And throw this book in there? Throw this book in there and (laughs) set it on fire. (laughs) Maybe that will be able to cleanse it from your memory. Leia has a vision of other Leias. One is of her as an empress, and the other is of her as a slave. And the empress Leia tells real Leia that she must give her lightsaber to one of them. She must be the empress or the slave. Leia, though, she refuses, and she says that it's hers to do with as she chooses and walks away from both. I feel like there was an attempt in this book to have a Leia storyline that... About uh, the Force. No. no? Let, let me finish. Okay. not about the force about her fear of aspects of her personality that could make her like vader or like the emperor but more specifically vader because she has this whole thing about him being her biological father fair enough however she spends so much time drugged out of her mind that by the time we arrive here where she makes this like mental choice in this vision it doesn't feel like there's been any build-up to it the only real thing is that that previous dream of the kids going dark side. Yeah, which is like, I, I would have loved to have spent more time on this. In fact, a book that we read that comes that was written so much later from from here, Tatooine Ghost, I felt mm. like did a great job with Leia's like... Struggle? Yeah, I was going to call it angst, and I was like, that's kind of infantilizing. It's not, it's a genuinely distressing thing to her that like she's having to wrestle with about Vader being her father. And I feel like the emotional journey that she was taken on during that book was so much more complete and satisfying than this thing. Yeah. Benning's a better author than Hambly. Yeah, for sure. He writes a lot more stuff in Star Wars, yes. right? A lot of stuff in like New Jedi Order era. Mm-hmm. Some of his books are great. I don't love everything he writes, I will say. Okay. I mean, everybody's got a stinker. Or, you know, a mediocre book. 
Uh, there are three books that I'm not a big fan of but his. But he, he writes the immediate follow-up to, to the New Jedi Order. Ah. And I think, for me at least, I was just destined to... Fail. I wouldn't say fail, but just I was destined not to love. Anyway, and now, now back here. Callista tells Leia that she never had to accept Vader as her father the way that Luke did. Leia says, and she never will. Callista says then that she'll always be a slave to his shadow. Again, I feel like Hamby's got moments of like interesting nuggets of conversation. Like, yes, that's true and interesting. But like, did we do any like development of it beforehand? No. <laughs> Luke has been hounding Leia to train with her lightsaber and she just keeps putting it off because she's so busy between the kids, dudes as chief of state, etc., etc. But now she and Callista practice and spar and this feels like a very short time, but later in the book, this feels like a, this must have been a very long time. But I don't think it was. It wasn't. I'll say why later, why it seems like it could have been a longer time. <laughs> Leia is always watching herself. She doesn't want to hurt someone. She doesn't want to be another Vader. Callista says she won't be. She'll always just be Leia. She says, you're, you're not even another Bale. You're you. Yeah. And I, I like that message. Yeah. A Theron named Bay comes in and interrupts them and says that people are moving on one of the gun stations. Leia asks Callista how he knows about it, and Callista says that the voices speak to the Therans like Bay. He's strong in the Force. Many of the Therans are. Callista says that she'd heard a rumor about this place from her master, Jin, about how strong it was in the Force, and how centuries ago, two Jedi had come here. One of them was a hut, but little else was known about them. Again, then why didn't you mention this to Luke? I know it's a different author, and Anishin had no idea about this place, but reading these two books... Back to back, or not back to back, but so close to each other, really just highlights how well they do not line up well with each other. Yeah. If you read this two years after Dark Saber comes out, it doesn't really, it's not that bothersome. It doesn't register. But when you read them so close together, yeah. it really stands out. Why go on Luke's pilgrimage? Luke's greatest hits of, oh, I saw a forest ghost here at Ben once. Oh, Yoda trained me here. <laughs> go to this planet. Yeah, and the easy way to fix this is just that she didn't hear about it from her master during her first life. You know? Like, she needs to have heard about it since she left Luke. Yeah, she hears about it in the... And this was the timeline I was talking about earlier. At one point, we Nighthammer went down eight, eight and a half months ago. She's been here for eight months. No, that makes no sense. She yeah. heard about this place immediately? Now, if Nighthammer went down a year ago, <laughs> and she heard about this place in the next few months and then arrived here... Fine. It's a little fast, but okay, I can I can live with that. But forest plot coincidence, exactly. That timeline fits for that kind of thing. Yeah, but the the immediacy is what just does not make sense. To me. Yeah, <sighs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Leia then says that Luke came too, but she doesn't know where he is now. Calista says that she's found nothing to help her here. When this is over, she'll leave the planet and continue her search. And she asks Leia if she'll tell Luke that she was here. Leia would like to, but she also says that she's going to do as Callista asks. Callista asks Leia to do what she thinks is right, and Leia says it would be best if she told Luke. Callista says, then do so. Make him understand, if you can. Tell him that I will love him to the ending of my life, but that mine is a life of which he cannot be a part. We've already said this. Yeah. Why are we saying it again? It's a nice thing, but yeah. So one thing that this feels like... I also just hate... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I hate when people who are like... 26. I mean, Callista's quite a bit older because she's been a ghost for a long time, but when they say that, like, oh, like, I'll always love you, even though now we're never going to be together. 
you just haven't experienced the march of time. It's going to go away. You're going to find other stuff. Probably. More than likely. You're not going to love this person forever. Like, Calista could go and find some non-Force user and fall in love. Yeah. Or she could find different loves. You know, like, I don't know. Maybe she, like, finds a business partner who they they end up being close or whatever. Or just a really good friend. Like, <sighs> this thing really, like grinds my gears in fiction i just think it's an unrealistic portrayal of emotion <laughs> well i think it's realistic for someone of that age to say things like that yes they're so dramatic but uh, but i feel like Callista been... should do like do a little bit better like she had already had a relationship by the time she died she's gained perspective from being a ghost for 30 years well that perspective also could be heavily skewed and flawed i mean sure i just i i would like better for her that's fair I don't want her to, because in the same breath that she's saying, I'm going to hold a torch for this person for the rest of my life. She's expecting him to move on. Like, why does he get to move on? I'm not saying that he shouldn't. I'm saying that they both should move on. Agreed. So also another thing that feels weird about this is she's been here for all this time. And she's like, you know, I'll leave when this is over. When, what, are you still here because of Oshkod and Zim, what's going on? Like, is that why you've saved Callista? And once that's over, that then you're going to leave. Like, I guess she's been working with the Therans to undermine him. I so. guess. But, like, their progress was not going great until Luke and Leia arrived. Yeah. She could have been here for a while. Yes. I guess Dazim was going to move to leave the planet regardless, so maybe that was the culmination point. But, yeah, it's just kind of unclear. Imperial forces show up at Cyblock, and they pick up R2 and 3PO. And I think this might be the most shocking moment of the book for when you were reading it. They are led by one Admiral Dalla. Yeah, I was like, what? Where did you come from? Well, I was doubly like, what? Because I just, uh, speak, like, so we talked earlier about a bunch of assumptions I made about what was going to happen in this book. An assumption that I made post Darksaber was that Dalla was still going to be intrinsic within the structure of Paleon's empire. Because she says, I'll follow your orders, like I'll do, you know, mm-hmm. stuff. And this didn't feel like that. She clearly has gone off on her own at this point. Yeah. She's retired from the Empire life. And she's very dramatic about it, but we'll get there. And I also, so we talked earlier about cutting Han's story. I kind of feel like Han should have been like Dahl in this book. Comes in towards the end. Yeah. Two or three scenes. Done. Done. That would have been... A More than enough. Of his time and our time, frankly. Yeah. So, based on the fake hollow of Leia that Han made, Republic ships head for Namchorios. The Falcon is headed there, too. Meanwhile, Luke feels a violent force storm from far away. It's at the Bleak Point gun station and is being caused by Beldorian. He and Legius head for the station and see the fight. Luke drives the speeder into the middle of the fight and yells at both sides to stop fighting. This kind of reminds me of that episode of Clone Wars we Yeah, <laughs> the Umbaran arc. He shouts out that Ashgod is duping them. So Ashgod would be Ponkrell in this case. <laughs> Ponkrell, much better character than Ashgod. And yet still... So hateable. Still that kind of like maniacal evil that is very Are We the Baddies energy. Yes. And Luke is yelling at Oshkod to keep out their farms. He just wants to sell the crystals and have the Loranar Corporation strip mine the planet. Leia then steps out of the gun station and says that Luke is right. And everyone instantly recognizes her. Despite the fact that she's like dirty and just 
not how she would usually present. And I go, that's why she's here. All of these people have such better facial recognition than I do. Or are the animals? Yeah. Dirt farmers. Good facial recognition. <laughs> well, if a bunch of drotches are going to walk among you impersonating humans, I guess it's important <laughs> to be able to pick up on Fair. that. <laughs> she then pulls out all the day she took from Oshkod and gives it to people to start looking over. So Luke running and saying, don't fight, don't fight, worked. And the lady's like, I have paper for you to read. And that also makes people just start stop in the middle of the fight just start reading. And this works. Yeah. Almost. Luke then turns to Legius and asks if Oshkod can install the program onto his ship, the one to get by the gun stations. And Lei answers for Legius and says that, yes, he can. Ashgod worked on the original Z95 design. And Luke's like, but that was 50 years ago. How is this? This is the sun. And Leia like, says, oh, you don't have this piece of information yet. Ashgod isn't the sun, but the original. And Azim has been keeping him alive. So. And Luke's like, ugh. And he doesn't say that, but I imagine him going, ugh. He should go, ugh. <laughs> it's a planet. Gurney Caslow of the newcomers, I guess. Yeah, one of Ashgod's followers. Yeah. The rationalist party doesn't buy the story and throws a grenade belt at the gun. He's shot, but the grenades cause enough damage for the gun to go down. Luke and Leia know there's a headhunter at Oshgod's, so they leave to try and shoot him down. So he's got this program that will avoid the gun stations, but they're just trying to make life easier by having a gun station go down. I guess. The closest gun station. Yeah, which, fair, fair enough. Why take the risk? You can make things better. Yeah. Once Luke is gone, Callista comes out to talk to Legius because she was hiding. He thanks her for opening his eyes. She was right. About what? Oh, just about Oshkod not being a good person. Yeah, and disease. Creepy. We then jump back to the droids, and Creepy was telling Dala everything he knows, which really isn't all that much. But still, he can stretch it. He can pontificate. And she says she just wants a peaceful life, and she's retired from everything. Yeah, see, this is why I was confused. But it has been disrupted by everything that's going on. The New Republic fleet is being attacked by flying guns. Meanwhile. <laughs> the Those same guns that attacked the Falcon are now attacking the New Republic fleet at Nantroyos. And Lando thinks they have similar tech to synth droids. Which, what? Why would, that felt really weird to me. It's the crystal resonation thing, I guess. But it, like, that, why exactly does he why. assume that the guns have that? I think he scanned it and saw, it was weird. I don't know. <laughs> Then we jump back to Dala, because again, we are jumping from scene to scene real fast. Including spouses and kids, Dala has command of about 3,000 people. They are loyal to the order and efficiency of the new order, and they just want to be left alone at this point. She is not happy with Moff Catellus for putting it all in jeopardy with this stupidity that's going on around her, and she'll even help save Leia if it means beating him and going back to her quiet retirement. And I, sure. I, I kind of love that statement from her. Yeah, I mean, I believe it from her. Yeah. Luke and Leia get back to Oshgods. They use a flamethrower on drotches that are around on the ground. Good call. They get to a Z95 and are trying to get it off the ground, but like all of the vehicles in here have been messed up somehow. Yeah. Then Beldorian shows up, the fastest hut that ever existed, and he and Leia duel. She wins, which allows Luke to take off. So she gets to kill another hut. Her her hut kill counter is going up. Leia, hut killer, Organa Solo. Exactly. It's kind of a fun image, just a hut with a lightsaber in a fight. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. And especially with Hambry's right style. Yeah. 
Luke recognizes one of the lightsaber forms that Leia used, and he realizes who she must have recently trained with. I think this is what you were talking yeah. about. It feels For like Leia to have picked up on and like mastered, absorbed, not mastered, but even just absorbed some of Callista's form to the point that it's recognizable by an outsider or by Luke. Yeah, that was more than just a five minute session that we saw, but when? <laughs> I mean, I think it might have been like a couple of hours. But still. You know how Callista likes a nice leisurely couple hour lightsaber yeah. duel. <laughs> Luke goes after Oshkod's ship, the Reliant, and has just made its way into space. And there's a battle going above, on above the planet. Luke's like, why is there a fight? And then he's like, why is the Falcon here? What's going on? I'm so confused. Luke, we're right there with you, buddy. Luke is shot down and starts falling back to the planet. He crash lands and gets far enough away from it, from his ship, before it explodes. He then reaches out with the Force and realizes that the crystals are alive. Took a long time. Yeah, the spook crystals... They are sentient. They are the planet's original inhabitants. They're, they're those unseen things that Luke has just been feeling this entire time. And I, I forget, did you have any idea that they were alive? No. They weren't? Didn't have hints dropped about that? I wasn't. Or if there were, they were easily lost? I was so incapable of speculation for the duration of this book. Because I felt like I didn't even know what was going on at present. Like, there. when I couldn't. No, when I didn't know what was going on currently, the idea of trying to predict what would happen later was wild. Truly, I think at one point I thought that the Drotches were maybe the planet's original inhabitants, but like, it's, yeah, the writing style makes it just very difficult. The crystals that are being used in the synthroids and the needle guns, which are those flying cannons we've seen, have apparently been enslaved by the Voronar Corporation. By, like, that realignment thing that they do of the yeah. matrix in the crystals. <laughs> Luke then sees through the eyes of the synthroids on the Reliance, so I guess Leia didn't destroy all of the synthroids. He then well, asks, wasn't she on the adamantine? No, because she, she destroyed... Um, At the compound? I didn't yeah. think that was all of them. I thought she got all of them, she said. She thought she did. All the ones at the compound. Okay, and the ones on the Reliant were, were just sitting there waiting. Because it wasn't the Reliant at the compound. Was it? I thought it was. I thought you were, you were talking about, like, a big... Is the Reliant the ship that Dazeem is on? Yeah. Oh. Okay, yeah, I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> Luke then asks the Crystals to destroy the Reliant and promises to return the Crystals that have been taken off the planet back to the planet. The Reliant then explodes and Luke faints. Uh, okay. Killing Dazeem and Oshkod. Great. Remember how in Children of the Jedi things wrapped up really quickly? Yeah. Again, wraps up really quickly. Yeah. So after the ship explodes, the needles just leave the fight and fly down to the surface of the planet. And Han and Dala meet on the planet. It's kind of awkward. Dala's ship showing up actually tipped the balance of power in the New Republic's favor during the space fight. Luke and Leia then go to Han, and Luke says the Crystals have agreed to let some of them be taken off the planet to kill the Drotches that have spread throughout the system. So, Drotches are the ones carrying the plague throughout. It's not just person to person, or species to species. So, that's, yeah, I don't know. Space biology. I don't understand it. <laughs> but, the Crystals have to return back to the planet once the task is done. The Crystals apparently have always known about the Drotches and the Death Sea Plague. And they invaded the dreams of the Prophet Theris to make sure the Drotches would never leave the planet. It's determined that trade can happen. It just needs to be done safely so the Drotches don't leave. Reasonable. 
Luke looks around for Callista, but in the end, decides to let her go before he finds her. And then, of course, he sees her from far away as she's about to get on a ship and leave. They see each other, wave, and then she leaves. All right, here we go. Dala <laughs> is about to talk to Leia, like discuss terms or something. But then she stops because she recognizes Legius. They approach each other and kiss. They then walk off holding hands. Well, he asks, like, how has your life been since we parted ways? Yeah. And she was like, eh, it was Tarkin a good, was there. It was good run. And he's like, yeah, I've had one too. And then they just sort of walk off into the sunset together. And Han says, Leia will have to have her conference later. What? <laughs> Why? Luke realizes that Callista let him go so he could travel his own road. Leia asks if he's okay, and he says he is. Well, Ending whatever you say. Book. Whatever you say, guys. <sighs> I need a nap. <laughs> so what do you think? Basement tier. Yeah. It's my new... So it's the the new category I'm using for like the bottom of the barrel stuff. Thanks, uh, Legends Lounge. Legends Lounge, Aaron Motes. <laughs> Basement tier, hated it. <laughs> we'll never read it again. That's fair. I feel like I'm being really mean again. I'm sorry. There's there's nothing that I really like in this book. Let's put it this way: there have been times when I have read the, not a full e-read, but like read my favorites or the more interesting parts of it. This is why I've skipped every single time whenever I've done that. Yeah. Like, I found things that I liked in Children of the Jedi. I think there were things in this book I could have liked. Yeah. But this book needs to do a lot more work just because of the the basis of the bugs are so disgusting. If you're going to read about bugs like this, (laughs) you've got to have a better story to make me want to read this again. The bug thing, uh, I don't like it, but it could have been whatever if the rest of the story was fine. Just... Yeah. It wasn't, and like, I I always think it's a mistake for Star Wars to stray too deep into the science part of science fiction because whenever they try, it makes no sense. Like, you well, it ha- might make sense in the story, but not in the wider world of Star Wars. Yeah, like you have to, you just have to accept that it's space fantasy and don't do little science stuff like this. It's it, it's troubling. Yeah. So similar to Children of the Jedi, there are some interesting things. In this book, in particular, I thought the beginning is very effective because of the mystery of why people are getting sick and dying. It's just the payoff is whatever we just read. It's not a good payoff. No. I like that setup. And there are a few, like, the, the stairway scene with both Luke and Leia is legitimately creepy. Leia's dreams and visions are potentially interesting. But the payoff of all of it is just not good. I think we were supposed to feel... So, at first... When we first see like the negotiations going on between Leia and Oshkod, I think we're supposed to feel like Nam Chorios is this little nothing place. Like the Republic is not really interested in it. They've got their own problems. It doesn't have, there's no consequences from this meeting, right? And then when the Death Seed Plague is introduced, we're supposed to feel that if this does not all get resolved, there will be galaxy-spanning consequences because everybody is going to die. Which Except... Which getting is like, oh, that's actually interesting. I didn't feel that level of threat at pretty much any point because the villains are oh just a clown car of idiots. <laughs> I, I think they're stupid as a Durga's crew. Well, and I think that's because they're run by a sentient bug. Yeah. Like, oh, not even... Like, I 
will totally accept that there's probably insectoid species in Star Wars mm-hmm. that are really smart. I mean, Geonosians are like a hive mind, etc., whatever. Mm-hmm. But the Drotches, they can naturally grow to be bigger, but Dazeem is a like mutant. a mutant, like an experiment. So I think the whole the source of like it being just kind of like that is that he has some intelligence, but it's what was accidentally kind of like experimented into him. Right. Yeah. So like his master plan is just to leave the planet and spread his disease self. And he doesn't do that with any real like finesse or, I mean, he's recruited Oshkod to do all this stuff for him, but it kind of feels like the planning part of that is coming from Oshkod and Dazim is just like, manipulating him with pheromones or something. I I don't like that alive. stuff. That's that's weird. So I don't even know where I was going with this. <laughs> where did I start? The beginning. Ah, uh, yes, I did start at the beginning. So yeah, we're supposed to feel that there's going to be consequences and there's this big threat. And I just never felt like there was a big threat. And then I feel like this other aspect was introduced where like Luke can't use his force powers again because... It'll, it's going to have consequences on this theme. planet. You see it on the next book, too. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and honestly, of those three What's stories, the point of having the Shield Force? Shield of the Jedi does it the best of just beating the living hell out of Luke. Yeah, just break his legs. <laughs> so, losing Calista Jormance has not been a high point of the EU, I think it's fair to say. The high point was achieved in Children of the Jedi. It's all been downhill yeah. from there, baby. <laughs> but, similar to Darksaber, I like how it ends in this book. In Darksaber, Callista chooses to walk her own path, and this one, they both choose to let each other go. And if they are supposed to meet again, then they will. But for now, they can each go their own separate way, walk their own path, and I like that. It's not just Callista, but Luke is also making that choice this time. Yeah. They ended at the place that I wanted them to end. Yes. They're both alive. Callista has not regained her, her connection with the Force. She's not gone full dark side. She has decided to walk her own path, and Luke has realized that because of her choice, he also is going to have to let her go. Like, they ended up in the place that I wanted them to get to. I do not feel that they earned it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wanted them to do... It just It kind of just feels like... For eight months, Luke, or whatever time it was, eight months to 12 months, <laughs> Luke looked for her. Maybe even eight months is a corresponding year. Maybe that's the problem. No, no. <sighs> it feels like Luke just, you know, looks for her for the span of time. He's really reeking of desperation the entire time. And then for some reason, inexplicably, suddenly when she's like 10 meters away from him, that's when he decides, oh, I'm over this. Yeah. Like, enough time has passed. Regis, or, uh, Legius is here to try and teach Luke that lesson of you should let her go. I don't understand why Legius can get through to Luke about this when, like, Leia or Han could I mean, sometimes you do need someone, an outsider's perspective, to help. I do believe that. I do not resonate with that. And here's why. I don't trust strangers <laughs> with I mean, anything. Fair, I, I think Legius was the wrong vehicle. But I do think it was important for Luke to get that message from someone other than who was really close to him. What should happen is Luke should have gone to therapy and his therapist should have told him this. <laughs> There's no therapy in space. No. There's not even good, like, prenatal care in space. So no. why there, would there be therapy? Bacta, which is great for everything else. Oh my god, do you think they inject Bacta into the brain? 
Oh God. Just to like help with like PTSD. Someone just tried it. Someone just tried it. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, that's the end of our discussion <laughs> about Planet of Twilight, Barbara Hambly's second and final Star Wars book. If you haven't read it and you just listen to this recording instead, that's fine. You know everything you'll ever need to know about this book. You don't need to read it. Don't I mean, torture yourself. You'll certainly miss certain details that we just didn't talk about. But before. you don't need those details. Yeah, it's fine. unnecessary. It's not important. All right. Now that what I'm sure is a riveting discussion of Planet of Twilight is over, let's look to the future and how this might impact the EU in the years to come. Hopefully not at all. <laughs> Fair enough. First question. Will we ever see Callista again? My guess would be only in passing. So never as a... Never as a major role. Okay. Never as like a primary or secondary character. I feel like kind of like Lando wasn't shown of the Jedi. He just kind of was there for a scene or two, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, I guess at the time they didn't have the benefit of hindsight, but I can't help but think that relatively soon after this was released, just the the whole operation was like, well, let's not revisit that again because that was quite boring. I guess the answer to the next question, but. Will she and Luke ever be together again? Nah, I don't think so. That ship has sailed? Yeah. So they were together for like, what, two months or something? Whatever time it was from the end of Shadow of the Jedi to the end of Darksaber, which was not a huge chunk of time. It wasn't nothing, but it wasn't like years. Luke's longest relationship. That's rough, buddy. Total failure. (laughs) Will Dala and Legius retire and live happily ever after and get a peaceful life? Or will she come back to Menace the Republic again someday? I'm sure I've already said lots of stuff about this pairing. So I'll try to keep it brief and not go on about that. I don't... I don't think that this is the end for Dala. No? I am using some, like, non-textual context clues for this. Because I know you've said that She's like a, a really cool character to you for an Imperial. And I'm just not sure that she's really done everything she needs to do to have earned that. Okay. Like what she did in Darksaber. I mean, I argue what she did in Darksaber makes her probably a top five Imperial character. Wow. Are the pickings that slim? Thrawn, Vader, Palpatine, Paleon. Tarkin. Fair. All right. The Ridge. Yeah, I guess I guess there's not a lot of I mean, would you put Zinj or Isard above her? Before Darksaber, after Jedi Cabra killed you. Obviously. Post Darksaber would that change. If Isard had been written slightly differently, I would feel much more confident in saying that she's above Dala for me. I guess since they're both kind of written in this very weird, like, there's a lot of attention paid to their physical appearance kind of way, I'll just wipe the slate of that for both of them. I would put Isard above her in that case. Zinj. Hmm. Zinj does have the upside of at least having been a long-term antagonist who continued to threaten. And there were times when I did not feel particularly threatened by Dala. Often, yes. Yeah. So I think I'd put Zinj above her as well. Okay. All right. Top 10 after Darksaber. I think there's no question about that. All right. Well, in that case, I guess maybe she is going to retire because 
it sounds like there's just nothing left for no cool things left for her to do. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying Darksaber did a lot for her image in my mind. My impulse, though, is that she won't menace the Republic again. I actually think she might become an asset to the Republic, however reluctantly. She was not an ally, but asset, I think, is a good word yeah. for her in this book. Like She's like, I want to live peacefully. This idiot Moff isn't letting me. I'm going to help you out, even though it means helping the Republic. I'm also just not confident. Like, as soon as her relationship with Legius falls apart, I'm sure she's going to get restless. Do you think it will fall apart? I mean, uh, they last knew each other when she was a teenager. Give or take out. This is what I'll say. Because of the amount of time that has elapsed, they must both be such radically different people than they were when they first knew and cared about each other. So if they can reconnect enough during their honeymoon period, maybe there's a chance. If they don't, then no? Yeah. Like, it's totally possible that they've grown in ways that make them more capable of a close relationship. But I would say it's equally, if not more possible, that since they originally had any kind of affection for each other and so much time has elapsed, I would I would put my money on they've changed too much into two, two totally different people. And like, I don't know. I guess they've both done bad things, but I think probably Dahl has done much worse things than Legius. She's certainly been more sheltered in her life as well, being stuck at the mall for so long. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really care one way or the other what happens to the two of them. Is this the last we've seen of the Death Seed Plague? No. Okay. Where will it turn up again? I mean, I have no real idea. There's at least one villain that you know of that would make sense to use this, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying they do, but the Vong like their biological weapons. And this is nothing if not a biological weapon. Sure. I just, I kind of felt like that was so far in the future. I wasn't sure that it was going to link up again. Fair enough. And I assumed that they had their own methods and wouldn't want to borrow. They absolutely have their own terrible methods, yes. I think the real issue is before, very few people knew that what could cause the Death Seed plague, right? Mm-hmm. And now so many more people know. And there's already been an information leak. You know what What angered me so much in this book as as the Death Seed plague came up and that stuff was happening was that I remembered in what time periods this was written versus when, like, the Kratos Trap was written and having to deal with the fact that this Death Seed Plague thing was written about first made me really angry. <laughs> really? Yeah. Only because I think Stackpole pulls it off so much better. Oh, there's no question. Like, this this plague is so boring. <laughs> like, the, the initial moments are pretty scary. Yeah. And after that, it's just like... Could have been scarier. Gotta work on those sentences. Yeah. Man, they're long sentences. And then I felt just kind of disgusting, but not in a scary way. Yeah. Like, the cryovirus was disgusting and scary. Yeah. Anyway, a lot more people know about it now. There are a lot of entities in the galaxy that would certainly use it for one reason or another, and who would not have the... Um, let's say they would either have the arrogance to think that they could control it to their liking, or they w- would be incompetent enough not to care. Nope in order to achieve their ends. Somebody's probably going to try and manuf- manufacture another one of these like super 
drotches so that they can try and control that thing and then control the plague. Uh, I'm not looking forward to seeing those more of those bugs. No. I will say it wasn't scary, but it was gross. Like, I don't like bugs. Get out of here with that. <laughs> will we see any more Force-sensitive huts? I mean, why not? It's a big galaxy. Yeah. Maybe go far enough forward or far enough back if there's got to be another one at some point. I'm going to say it's going to be unlikely, though. And mm. I only say that not because of my own prejudices against huts, but because of the text's prejudices against huts, right? Huts are never good in Star Wars, mm-hmm. which is, you know, its own separate, like, issue about people not being an obelisk monolith. Monolith was the word I was looking for there. So I don't think if the text introduced another force sensitive hut, it's not going to be a student at Luke's Academy. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be a bad guy. Or it would be if we went and did Old Republic era stuff or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe prequel era stuff. Yeah, maybe. Will we ever see Tiselda again? I mean, they shouldn't just leave her there to keep manipulating like literally everybody who lives in an adjacent building. I just don't know if they're going to bother to clean up that plot point. She does have a heck of a alter mind whammy kind of thing, though. Combined with the drugged wine, especially. I just don't know what her motivation would be to appear again. I guess, is Beldorian dead? Yes. Yeah, Leia killed him. Wow. And that was a part of the book that I was I actually found sort of exciting. And I still had trouble remembering that it had happened. So, like this struggle the two of them have had to Zelda and Bildorian has kind of been what has maintained their, you know, focus for all of this time. So now she doesn't have that. So she might try to do something to like have a purpose again, I guess. Sure. We'll see her again. I don't know if you can tell, but I had a really hard time answering any of these questions Because I don't feel like there are any kernels in here that I can extrapolate out to the future well. Makes you feel better. I struggle coming up with these questions. (laughs) Just like, I don't feel like... Okay, there are two things here. The first thing is, I definitely feel like they had to have figured out not long after this book was released that it was not going to be an all-time winner. It was not going to be a long-lived it EU wasn't favorite. Be a trilogy no, or a Jedi Academy trilogy. Yeah. So I feel like because of that, there would be no point to revisit little things like Tiselda that were kind of dropped in the narrative here, mm-hmm. because nobody cares. That's fair. I feel like there. I are took th- a long pause there so that I wouldn't curse. <laughs> I feel like there are three potential things from this book that would make the most sense to revisit in the future. The plague. Oh god, the stupid sentient crystals. Probably. Actually, that wasn't on my list. No? But, but they're so tied to the plague. Yeah, I, I would count them as with the plague. Okay. Callista, Dala. I think those are the three big things that would have the most chance. Not saying we will or won't, but reading this book, those are like the, the three biggest potential impacts for the future. And even those, I can 100% see some future writer just fully retconning everything that happened here. Or like, Dala lived happy ever after. We never see her again. I could totally buy it. Yeah. It was written that way. (sighs) So that's on kind of like a meta 
industry marketing kind of level. The second level is I just don't think that the writer herself my my guess about Barbara Hambly is that she is a gardener, not an architect. Yes, I get that sense as well. Which means if she is in control of her own IP, and by all accounts, she is a prolific writer. She has written a ton of non-Star Wars stuff. Then I could imagine, you know, as a gardener, you drop all of these things in this book. You may or may not come back to them later. So if she was going to write another book, I would bet that she would come back to some of this stuff later. But I don't think she writes another Star Wars book. So I don't think a lot of these things are going to get picked up by somebody else. Here's what I'll say. Phantom Spectra, this era of Star Wars publishing, a lot of their stories, as we've seen, for the most part, connect, but not super well. Yeah. Right? We described as the Wild West of Star Wars <laughs> storytelling. Yeah. But when Del Rey... God, takes there's o- just so much dysentery here. <laughs> yeah. But when Del Rey takes over in the late 90s, early 2000s, they do a couple things. First, a much better job of connecting their stories. But second, a much better job of calling back to previous stories written in the Band of Spectra era. Mm-hmm. So certain characters who we might have seen, like, let's say, in Rogue Squadron, maybe, or Teresa Bakura, who we haven't seen since then, might show up in a Del Rey book because they do a better job of connecting back to those older stories than other Band of Spectra era books do. But hopefully not trying too hard with it. I mean, they publish until the end of the EU cycle, so they, they've got a lot of time to connect, so they don't need to, like, try and fit this all into five yeah. books. okay. So they've got dozens, maybe over a hundred books to connect back to the Band of Spectra era with, and frankly, the Band of Spectra era is significantly smaller in terms of, num- in terms of output of books mm-hmm. than what Del Rey does. So Del Rey can, I think, connect to, if they want to, every single Band of Spectra book without too much difficulty. I'm not saying they do or don't, but they could pull that off, I feel like, with with, uh, with relative ease, as long as the author is knows what they're doing. Oh, I just hope it's a better era. It's been, This year's been rough. This podcast year's been rough. Sorry. Band Spectre has some of the highest highs, but also some of the lowest lows when it comes to Star Wars books. Like when when Starfighters of Adumar was basically the, the lone highlight for me. I Jedi? I Jedi was fun. So yeah, those two were the highlights. Like, seriously, a Stackpole book written in first person from <laughs> Corrin Horn's perspective. And a fun romp, but kind of rushed culmination of a romance that I was interested in, plus a really wacky Starfighter worshipping planet. You know, in a different year, those would have been the bottom. Or just kind of middling forgettable. Yeah. yeah. Fun books, but you don't return to them. Yeah. <sighs> Like, if, if I had my my way, I would say I never want to see Callista again. At this point, I never want to see Luke again. <laughs> get, yeah, get, me, get Dala out of here. Like, I, I don't need to hear one more way that her eyes are described. For sure. For sure. For sure. Let's leave this behind us. Let's, like, do, a, do kind of a hard reset. Fast forward, like, six months... I know I'm not going to get that, though, because the next book is The Crystal Star. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and I don't even... This is funny. So, uh, I know that you don't like this book. I know that widely it is not liked. I don't think I ever read that book. And honestly, I have no idea what it's about. I haven't even read the back cover. <laughs> it's a weird one. It's a very... 
I don't remember it super well because I've never loved that book. I, I think the thing that weird. you've told me is that it's at least more readable in terms of like prose style. From what I remember significantly, but uh, that's true for almost every Star Wars author. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my dearest hope is that none of this has any real impact on the future EU. Okay, thanks. I'll also just say the Clips Chronicles are not, for the most part, far-reaching in terms of their impact. In, in terms of the way I say that the Thrawn or Jedi Academy trilogies are. Sure. It is, for the most part, kind of forgotten. It's swept under the rug. Man, even the Thrawn trilogy did not have the uh, impact that one would think that it had had. Just because Dark Empire came along and sort of just wiped that slate. But Broad and Paleon, he'll have a big impact going forward, post-Darksaber. Will he? Oh, he will. What's that going to be like? We'll find out. Okay. <laughs> if I sound broken, it's because I am. Oh, I'm sorry. So, next up, we'll be returning to Tales from Gullah's Palace. We'll be reading That's Entertainment, the tale of Salacious Crumb, written by Esther M. Priestner, and you can look forward to that coming out on March 19th. Thanks to Thomas for editing. And thanks to Crystal for this crazy idea. And thanks to you for listening, and also, we're sorry. Um, <laughs> we are. But Hambly should be sorrier. You can email us at tk331podcast at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at tk331podcast. You can tell a friend about this podcast. Please recommend a different episode. Dark the Empire. Dark Saber. That I think was entertaining, but not this episode. Yeah, something else. You know, if you think they'll like it, just give them a better one. <laughs> you can leave us a rating and a review or a review, one or the other, maybe both, on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast reviewing platform of your choice. I hear that like you can review podcasts on Spotify, but I've yet to figure out how to do so. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I don't have a fun activity for this one. I guess if your house has recently been fumigated, you can arrange the bugs <laughs> in TK331 on your front yard. I don't know. Just as a threat to all other bugs and also as a threat to your neighbors. <laughs> like. And now here it is, your moment of Star Wars. The only way in or out of the gun station tower was over the walls. A Theron was rappelling easily down on a line, dark crimson coat and gray veils striking a familiar chord. Fighter who had thrown the grenades, thought Luke, during that first battle he had seen. When the gawky, graceful figure reached the ground and walked toward Umali Darm's freighter, he saw the lightsaber swinging at the heavy leather belt, the long tail of malt brown hair as she pulled loose her veils, and his heart leapt against his ribs. She turned at the other side of the landing ground, at the base of the freighter's ramp. She had always known if he was looking at her, even as he had known when her eyes were on him. For a long moment, they stood in stillness. She at the threshold of her long road, he thought, and he at the beginning of his. He raised his hand to her. Farewell. Her shoulders relaxed, and he could feel the tension leave her, the fear that he would cross that open ground and tear anew all those two fresh wounds by taking her in his arms. The time was past for that. In her stillness, he read her thought. Please understand. I understand. She raised her hand to him, and he could feel her smile.